Tenpence Arcade Podcast is sponsored by Retro Games Party. Get out of emulation and into the arcade with Retro Games Party. Arcade game hire for public events and private parties. With three regular community-led meetings throughout the year, there ain't no party like a Retro Games Party. Visit their website at www.retrogamesparty.co.uk and get involved. The Tenpence Arcade Podcast is a proud member of the Retro Junkies Network and Throwback Network. Hello and welcome to the Tenpence Arcade Podcast. My name is Victor Marland, a.k.a. Vertvic. And I'm Sean Holly, a.k.a. In Your Face, Sean Holly. You certainly are. I am. How are you, mate? How have you been doing in the past two weeks? Um, very good, thanks. How are you? I'm not just very good. I am absolutely awesome. Fantastic, <laughs> fabulous, brilliant. <laughs> Go on, what's been going on then with you I've, for the last had, two weeks? Well, I've been a little bit ill, but never mind that. I've had a bit of a cold and still got a bit of a sore nose and I never get colds. But I've had... Uh, Wife's birthday, that was pretty good. I had a few people yeah. around, that was really nice. Got some nice presents and stuff, really nice weekend. And uh, Valentine's Day yesterday, that was good. We had a nice meal, stuff. Got a few little yeah. presents. And I've had loads of time to get on the death race, mm. which is really cool. And another thing which really, really brightened my day yesterday, I managed to do an interview with uh, a team of developers that are developing a new jammer game called Sky Cursor, which we will be talking about in depth a little bit later on. Yeah, it's good, yeah. So let's get on to my news about the death race. Um, I've just had time, really, because I haven't got a lot of time lately, but I've had a bit of time to get in the garage. I had the death race out on the, on the, uh, the, the drive, got on some cardboard, whipped it on its side, managed to do a load of uh, sanding, a load of filling, all the little holes and lumps and bumps inside because there's lots of them. I managed to do all that, and I actually managed to get the pedal assembly out because it's actually in a box in the, in the front of the cab at the, the bottom where the footwell is. Yeah. I managed to get that out. I didn't think I'd get it out, and I did. I managed to pull it out. So I could get to all the pedals, because the pedals were a bit rusty and a bit knackered looking. And I managed to get in the back of them to get the screws out, because they were just spinning before, and I was trying to undo them with a socket wrench. And I managed to get that out. And um, uh, So I can, I, can actually, I can actually get those sandblasting and painted, hammerite painted, and I can get to all the other bits, and I can sand and square up and get all the lumps and bumps out and fill and repaint the, the footwell. So that's another big part of the cab. And mm. today, I got in there again, I was assembling bits of the control panel. I had it all together, but it wasn't quite all assembled. So I've sort of I've actually opened a few holes out in the plastic um, control panel because it wasn't quite fitting. I think it's because it's so, how bad Exidy made their cabs. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> terrible. Um, I don't know what it was in the 70s. I think they were all stoned or something when they were building them. <laughs> yeah. Or drunk or whatever. And... Um, yeah, I managed to get this out, and underneath the, the, you can imagine underneath the foot pedal of a machine that's nearly 40 years old, yeah. how grody and ugh it was. It had sort of like thick, greasy, slimy, dusty, bleh, 40 yeah. year old bits of crud under it. And I did actually find um, a 1966 quarter coin in there, hidden behind one of the foot pedals. So wow. I've actually got a coin now to test the mechanical coin mech with, and it works. Couldn't believe it. Wow. I also, found a, I also found a load of lolly sticks in there. I'm not sure why it's had lots of lolly sticks in there. Whether they use them for, for applying glue or whatever at the factory, I do not know, but there's loads of them in there. I bet you could get a credit somehow, couldn't you, with a oh, stick? Oh, maybe that's what it was. They were stuffing them yeah. in there to get... Yeah, you probably... Well, I don't know. No, you couldn't, because a mechanical coin mech's quite... Convoluted. When you put the coin in, it goes down all little runners, and it's like mousetrap down. It goes around little wires and 
springs and all that sort of stuff, and it weighs the thing, and it, it don't let it go through if it's not the right shape and all this lot. So I don't think so. Do you know how I used to do it? Yeah. How I used to trick the machine into start playing any game. Yeah. I used to put 10p in. Really? And it'd start, yeah. I, I it's a bit costly, though, isn't it? I know, but it worked. It's crazy. To show how cheeky the XD workers was as well, and I, I joke you not on this, on behind one of the little... Um, constructions of the foot pedal it's like a little sort of um, wall a wooden wall inside i actually yeah. found in pencil someone had been playing noughts and crosses on there <laughs> right. honestly i was looked at it and went no way because no one could have got in there to graffiti the thing if you know what i mean in, in a, yeah. when it was on the shop floor or working in an arcade it was actually behind the footwell so you'd have to do that first and then put it on i thought it was brilliant i thought you lazy cats <laughs> Yeah, I gave it all a good clean out, give it a scrape. I had to give it a scrape as well. It was absolutely disgusting. And I was using sort of um, a washing up sponge on it with some uh, sort of antibacterial spray and that. And all the bits that were coming off it were just weren't very nice at all. Uh, yeah, so the next thing I've got to do with that is um, do all the, the foot pedal assembly, clean it all up, paint it, all this sort of stuff, get it back assembled. It looked really nice. It's in quite good shape as well. I thought I might have to remake parts of it, but it's actually quite good. And uh, then get the the actual cab together but there's a bit more um bondo in and sanding to do but then after that when it's all smooth on the sides i've got the biggest scariest part of the thing to do i've got to put the full side art on and this yeah. this sticky vinyl covers the whole side of the cabinet and i've also got a shape cut the shape out to, to fit it on there as well and i'm actually going to phone up muddy, muddy music our friend ollie because he's very good with the artwork, and he's done quite a bit of um, fitting of, of vinyl, because the hardest bit is to get it on there without getting any bubbles under it. And I've it, seen yeah, I've seen YouTube videos, some guy doing one, and it yeah. took hours to do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've, I've done a few before, and you do them dry, and you can't help but getting a few air bubbles in it. It's a real pain trying to get them out, and in the end, you just do your best you can. Um, but what Ollie does, and obviously the professionals, is they spray it with sort of a, a very thin film of soapy water, and then you put it on and you squeeze the water out with a squeegee. So I bought a squeegee off of eBay, uh, yeah. like a sort of window cleaner's cleany thing. I think that's what they're called. And um, you sort of push the water out from underneath it. And then obviously if there's any residual water, it just dries away and the glue sticks. And that's the, the proper way of doing it. But I'm going to ring him up first just to get his his help on it, I think. Because yeah. he's obviously very good at this sort of thing. Because that artwork as well, I don't think anywhere else were made. I think it was like a limited run. I don't think you can get it again. So mm. it's going to be the hardest thing to do, I think. But once that's done, then it's just assembling the damn thing. I've got to make a back door as well, but that's easy enough. It's just a, a piece of wood with a few um, holes in the back. I'm even going to put a fan in it, I think, as well, because apparently some of the parts on the PCB get quite hot. Some of the chips, ah, yeah. they've got little heat sinks on them, which I had to solder back on because one fell off. Um, but I'm going to put a big fan on it, I think, blow some cold air on there, I think, just to give it a bit of a helping hand. Mm. But then it's just assembly, and it'll be done. Oh, brilliant. I've also paid in full for my Cosmic Jeff, the Cosmic yes. Alien, the second Cosmic Alien wall mount I've bought. Uh, it's coming from France. I've paid in full, so I've just got to wait for it to come up now. And it'll be delivered to Ol, uh, Alpha One, with a cocktail cab he's purchased. And I'll go down and see him and have a look at his collection and have a chat to him as well. It'd be quite nice. Mm, perhaps do an interview. I probably will, actually, because he is mm. a, a big, big collector. He's got some uh, quite unique cabinets as well. Lots of Taito stuff, isn't he? Yeah, lots of Taito, lots of Universal. Um, he's also a big Atari fan. Obviously, the name Alpha One was um, was the code name for Major Havoc. Major Havoc. Yeah. yeah. I also finally bit the bullet. I hate to say this. I've been trying to stay away from it for so long. I bought an iPhone Six Plus. 
These avid fans are known as fanboys. Yeah? I'm one of them now. Basically because I got so miffed with using my old phone, it it kept slowing down. It's not as quick as it used to be. I think it's just been bloated with all the rubbish software and the the keypad. I kept making mistakes, probably due to my fat fingers. I got the iPhone. I thought, oh, might as well. I got a good deal on it. And it's been really good. Just it's a good phone. Simple as that. Nothing Mm. more to say about it, really. It's good. And there's a, there's a game on it I've downloaded for free, and it's got hold of me. And I may be an addict. I may have to go into rehab to get away from Crossy Road. Yeah. So what have you been up to, mate? Well, creature of habit, guess where I've been? Have you been to Arcade Club slash Batcave? Uh, yes, yeah, Arcade Club. And the monthly Blackburn Batcave meet, been there. Yep, in the club. Yes. Um, at the Batcave, every every month there's normally a Sega Saturn. I think there was three this time. Yeah. And my respect for that console is growing. It's such a good 2D console. It's, it's a shame it came out the same time as the PS1 because it was at a time when everyone was loving the uh, 3D graphics, weren't it? Ooh. Yeah, but this um, there was Dodon Patchy playing. There was Gunhead playing. The t- two really good shooters oh, on a s- side on telly again. Yep, side on telly. Uh, there was Outrun playing on the Sega Ages compilation, which is a very good version. Okay. Was and that the steering wheel and gears and all that sort of stuff? Uh, th- there was a steering wheel, yeah. Well, it's kind of like a, a yoke kind of thing, but yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like a figure of eight shaped thing. I've seen that before on the That's sound. it, yeah. Cool, that's a proper way to play it, I think. Yeah, so that was a, um, a good night. And I've been playing, um, obviously, Wonder Boy, which we'll talk about later. Hmm. And Sonic Wings for the retro games... Uh, retro gamer forum shoot 'em up league challenge, which is oh, if you're into your shoot 'em ups, yeah, it's just started this year. Mm-hmm. If you're into your shoot 'em ups, have a listen to them. No, no, have a listen. Get on the forum and have a uh, read of them guys. But there's some really good experts. So I'm up against it there. But I'm hoping to come um, joint 27th. At that's, the moment. That's, a good, that's good. That's very good. Uh, out of 28 people, yeah, I think you'll, yeah, I think you'll do back. that. You know, I'm, I'm backing you. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's the, it. Um, what you said about the old. Uh, Sega Saturn. I used to have a Saturn. It's quite a good little console, actually. Really nice machine. I used to love some of the games on it. But it, as you said, it was the time when PS1 uh, came out and they were doing the 3D stuff and it just got sort of shoved by the buy. I think it's because of Sega, basically, because they never had very good um, advertising and they weren't, I honestly say, they don't, weren't very good at business, basically. Good at making games, good at making consoles, rubbish at business. That, yeah, there's a story about how they released the Saturn. Um, a bit early, and they got they upset some of the retailers and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's Retro Asylum's latest podcast. There's a story about it. I've listened to half of it. Okay. And um, they just upset a load of people, and then they went on and re-released released stuff really early, didn't they? Like the 32X, and then they released the Sega CD straight after. Mm. They sort of yeah flooded the market a bit yeah, it was a lot of add-ons i think you know you sort of bought one add-on it to buy another add-on and you had about three or four different add-ons all with different power supplies and it just looked it looked like really cobbled together i think yeah so the poor old saturn it sort of lost out a bit but you know now it's got a bit more respect with some good good fighters on it and absolutely. yeah very good machine very absolutely good machine. it's the same thing with the dreamcast i absolutely loved the dreamcast and I bought it at the time, and then the PS2 came out, or vice versa, I can't remember which one was which. And it was exactly the same story there. PS2 won out because of the 3D games and the better advertising and the, the big massive company behind it. But um, yeah, the Dreamcast is brilliant, and it's the same thing nowadays. People are still developing little games for the Dreamcast, which is amazing. Mm. Yeah, another good machine. Yeah, it was really good. Okay, let's get this, uh, this show on the road and do some arcade news from around the world and local areas. 
Well, we have tons of stuff this time. Oh, lots of tons news. Of fun. Lots of news happening in America and Japan and stuff, but you know, and England. Uh, Retro Games Party have now been confirmed to supply the machines for NERG for the third year running. Yeah, well done, James. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, 20th to 21st of June. Get your tickets. Get down there or up there. Depends where you are. Up there. I'm going. Definitely going to NERG. No, no doubt about it. Definitely going to NERG. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a really yeah. good one. Uh, 8-Bit Flip have now confirmed uh, what cabs they're going to have at the Northwich event on the 4th and 5th of April. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we can put a link onto all their lists. And Definitely. Most importantly, they're taking 1942. Oh, yeah. I think it'll be that little cabaret that I love so much, that one. Yes, it's a good little machine, that. That's a very nice machine. Yeah, I'm, I'm told it's only a small capacity, 250 to 300 people, so get your tickets quick because it's going to sell out. Yeah, I hope it'll sell out, actually. It'll be a good little shindig, 253. Mm. That's quite nice, nice uh, amount. I bought mine this morning online by the power of internet. I thought it was going to say by the power of Grayskull, then. By the power of Grayskull. <laughs> he man, he were good, weren't he? He had a nice pink uh, t-shirt. Quite like that. Uh, Craig Turner has posted that there will be a revival mini event after all on the twenty eighth, twenty ninth of November. Don't, definitely going to that. Definitely going to that. Brookfield's Leisure Centre, Wolverhampton, so mid Midlands ish. Yeah. Uh, Dave Otto is helping out as arcade coordinator, and he indeed. says, "Yes," and he says there'll be over thirty cabs. Oh, brilliant! That's, that's quite a small event. That'd be brilliant. Hopefully mm. they'll have um, other video games as well, uh, consoles and stuff, and computers. Yeah. Oh, I, I yeah, do I like doing that. Have. This is a nice mix mm. when you've got that sort of thing, because I see things I don't often see, which is nice. Mm. Yeah. I've got in big black letters here, Sky Cursor. New arcade game for Jammer Hardware being developed. I cannot go on about this enough. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. Um, yeah. Thank you very much to Roger Cantor for bringing this to my attention. Um, he, he, t- he sent me a WhatsApp message a little while ago, and I stri- immediately got onto the guys. I went on the website um, to a guy called Chris Cruz, and there's two other guys developing with him, and uh, asked for an interview, and they, they politely obliged, and that'll be at the end of the, the podcast. Um, I spoke to the guys for a long time after and before the interview as well. Ah, it's, I'm so excited. They're making a new game for Jammer Hardware. This is a yeah. new game that's going in the arcade. Hopefully, they'll be able to make an arcade machine to, or machines to go with it. They're going to yeah. release all sorts of different... Um, levels of hardware you know you can get just the the board or they're going all sort of goodies with it and marquees and machines and it's going to be released to arcade operators and collectors alike so we're not going to be left out mm. and if you like stuff like um if you like sort of gory games you know, like splatterhouse and chiller and yeah. if you like things like um in the hunt metal slug uh, and doom and all these sort of things all you know all of them together that's what their influences are and it's a really nice side-scrolling game. It really reminds me of, of the likes of Pro Gear No Arashi, uh, mm. Prehistoric Island 1930, you know, the R-types R and the, the Gradius-type things. It's really, really good. I urge people to go and look at this. It's really smart. When you mentioned In the Hunt, that's one that passed me by. I haven't seen it. So I loaded that up on Main this afternoon while I was listening to that interview. Uh-huh. And uh, that's a decent game, but I can see where it does look quite... The graphical style is quite similar to Sky Cursor, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it was actually yeah. developed by, I think, some of the people who went on to be Nazca, who made Metal Slug. And you can see it a mile away, can't you? Yeah. Oh, that, right. that is a game in the hunt that came out on the Saturn. It's one to have, one of the good mm. games to have, apparently. Right. Um, more news, Video Game Carnival, Aldershot, down your way. 
28, oh, yeah. 28th of March. Um, it says, we'll be bringing you a selection of weird and wonderful hand-built video gaming attractions alongside a selection of retro consoles and computers. Two giant Game Boys. Do you know, I've seen them. At oh, yeah, various, they're really smart. They're a lot of at fun. various events. It must be them guys. I think it is. It's a, it's a mad guy in a, uh, in a top hat. <laughs> yeah. and he's the one who made Fruit Pac-Man, where you control Pac-Man by touching bits of fruit. It does say that. Honestly, yeah, it's, yeah it's, I've seen it before. It's mad. It works really well, though. The Fruitcade. Fruitcade, yeah. They're calling it, yeah. Uh, and lots of other stuff there. Giant Atari joysticks, LED-controlled games. So that's worth going Yeah, to. it's a lot of fun, that is. It's bizarre, but fun. Um, Geek, next weekend, as we're recording. 20th, 20th to 22nd of February, Geek. I've never been to one of them. I haven't either. It sounds fun, though. It Margates, it's way off for me. But well, it's not too far for me, I suppose. Yeah. It says, Halls filled of classic retro games, unique titles, familiar favourites, and indie developers showcasing their creations. I think there's is a sort of a more of a workshop feel to it, you know, talks and okay. uh, kind of a Minecraft thing going on and that. But that'll be worth visiting if you are in the area. Mine who? Mind, mind your craft, sir. Never heard of it. Oh, I have, yeah. My son still plays it. He's, he's got to the stage where he's like modding it now. You know, he's got gone past the the eleven year old playing with building blocks, and now he's the sixteen year old modding it and blowing people up with it. But there, uh, yeah, there you go. I still don't know what you're talking about. I have not a clue what you just said. Hey, Minecraft, get off Victor's lawn. Um. Also, last night on the Book of Faces, the Derby game convention that never happened. The guy yep. um, has put a post on and it reads, I thought it would be a good time to give you all an update on Derby game convention. We are still passionate and looking for different ways that we can put on the event, big or small. We've had some interest from different people but can't confirm anything yet. We will continue to post about you know recent purchases, try to and keep trying to engage with you more. Thanks for all your continued support and keep gaming, Luke. Do you know this Luke? I don't. I don't know him, no, but um, he's going to get one of these for persistence. Well done. I hope it comes arcade off. Arcade ping. He gets an arcade ping, that man. Yeah, so that may still happen. I uh, hope so, because it's not too far from me, actually. I think they didn't yeah. get the crowdfunding they wanted, but mm. they said, oh, sod it, we're going to do it anyway, which is mm. brilliant. I hope they do. Uh, John Studley, our man, uh, he's going to try the perfect freehand Pac-Man again. He's uh, sent me a message. Hi, Victor. I'm gonna, going for another live perfect attempt at play Blackpool on the 2nd to the 4th of May. He'll be streaming it live over that bank holiday weekend here. And we put a link in his show notes to Twitch TV. He does, he does everything live, our John. He's brilliant. Mm. Uh, also, you were involved in a space zap in colour conversation on one of the forums. I did. My zap uh, was spaced. Yeah, is it in colour or what was was the kind of thread, weren't it? It was. I went on MAME a little while ago just looking through some stuff and um, I was looking for, looking at Space Up for some reason and it was colour on MAME. I was like, what's going on here? There was never colour version. And in MAME you can turn on, um, you can turn on uh, colour overlays and yeah. it wasn't the colour the, the overlays I've seen at um, the New Frontier Arcade where they've got a Space Zap black and white machine. It was nothing like it. It was complete colour. And you can always tell it, um, a colour game from an overlay because it, it does look quite good on MAME. You can tell it's, it's not the right colours or it only covers certain parts of the screen. But this is a full colour game. And I put up on, on UK VAC, was it colour? And everyone sort of said, oh, no, it was overlays. I said, no, no, I know what it looks like. Um, but I found a colour version. And I think Martin Gudler uh, chimed in, who he obviously knows what he's talking about, this guy. 
And he was saying that some of the games back then were just transferring over to colour in the, the late 70s. Mm. And some of them actually had colour outputs, but they didn't use them because they had a glut of black and white uh, monitors that they obviously done a deal with, you know, the, the manufacturers of the monitors to have X amount of monitors. And they had to use them, otherwise they'd be surplus requirements. So I think they did the boards in colour and black and white and then just thought later on when we're making the cabinets and producing the games, we've got a load of these black and white monitors, let's just use them. So that's yeah. what they did, we think. Because mm-hmm. uh, Space Invaders 1 and 2, or Space Invaders Deluxe in the US, that output's in colour as well. I think you just change a few wires over, or you, you, you wire it slightly differently. There might even be a switch. And that um, output's in colour as well. And I also heard, or read, about um, Galaxian being in black and white once as well. Someone had a version of black, uh, Galaxian in black and white. So that's sort of uh, one of those things. That's, we sort of uncovered it, I think, in the end, but nobody knows for certain what happened with that. I read somewhere that Berserk was very nearly a black and white game, wasn't it? Yeah. And they they did kind of a colour hack to it at the end. Because um, Berserk wouldn't be too bad in black and white, I don't think. I think it worked quite nicely, to be honest with you. Because yeah. there's only about five or six or eight colours in it anyway. You don't yeah. get that many colour, different coloured robots. Um, but yeah, the thing with um, Berserk, it was basically made out of old pinball parts because it was a stern game. Uh, and it's, it was basically cobbled together. There's like five or six big, massive PCBs for that game, and they never work. Not nowadays. <laughs> they never work. Yeah. yeah. Great game, though. Tell us about this MVS game you're on about. Yes, a Neo Geo MVS game has resurfaced after 120 years in a box. Is well, it that 19, long? Yeah, well, 1996 feels that long, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Ironclad, it's called. Yep, I have heard of it. And uh, someone has put, I hadn't been aware of all this until recently, but back in 1996, a scrolling shooter by the name of Ironclad was released for the Neo Geo CD home console. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a cart. Uh, that wasn't a very easy thing to come across when the MVS hardware did not receive a release at the time. Okay. The game was released on Virtual Console on the Wii in 2009, and some hackers have extracted the ROM from the version and are now going to put it on um, an MVS cart as a homebrew Ooh. release. Ooh, I know people will be after that on a, on a cartridge, the collectors. So John's Arcade has done a little uh, video on it yep. where he plays it in a proper cab so that's worth looking at and it's also you can play it in MAME oh okay that's cool yeah so it does exist but now it's going to be put back into hardware version I'm sure I had a version of MAME quite a while ago that just played Neo Geo had different tweaks to play Neo Geo and I'm sure Ironclad was on there because there's a few homebrew games released or ones that weren't quite homebrew they were unreleased and people just found them and released them later on in its life I love that sort of thing I love finding you know, finding stuff that wasn't supposed to happen, but it gives you an extra game to play. I like that. Mm, yeah. And this, the title of this article online caught my eye because it's just brilliant. It says, Civilization Peaks, Beer Dispensing Arcade Game Created. So you can play a game called The Last Bar Fighter. And yeah. underneath the cab, it's an LCD playing a flash game. Yeah. But underneath the cab is a keg of beer with two taps. <laughs> So you turn the taps on and get drunk while playing it. That's a good idea. And he's put, what could go wrong? (laughs) It's $5 a go. It's actually just a promo for a brewery, but it looks like like a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, though, isn't it? And the side art is good. The side art looks like uh, kind of... uh, You'll have to to see it. I'll I'll put a link on. A well-described you. We we have got a link on it. Everyone can look at it. I'm good at describing stuff. Now now you said that... um, and it's what I was talking to Chris Cruz, uh, the guy from um, Sky Cursor, 
and also his mate Phil. We were talking about this, and I think they're right. There is definitely a resurgence in arcades coming back. I, I think I so. like Victor yeah. likes this. Um, you know, it's companies like that who are promoting things to sell, which is the usual thing, but they're using old arcade stuff, and people are getting mm. more into it, and they want the real thing, and that's where people like us come back into it, and, you know, playing the real machines and the arcades and stuff. And then, obviously, the Skycursor guys bringing new games out, which is even better, yeah. and it's, they're encouraging other people to do it as well. And you're getting some of these new games, which are very good for, you know, uh, mobile devices that are easy to play, and they've got very simple controls, and they're so easy to adapt to an arcade machine. Like you said, I think mm. Fruit Ninja came out, and that one yeah. with the, the Harpoon Lagoon and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it's all pointing towards the arcade, and I like this. Yeah, I've got uh, another point on that later on, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, an old game that's coming back, well, the Atari of whoever Atari is now, they've um, reissued the Asteroids brand. Oh, okay. And they're they're going to make a game called Asteroids Outpost, and it says it's a bold reimagining of the brand. Oh, so they're going to start um, reproducing vector monitors? Uh, no. <sighs> Asteroids Outpost is not an arcade space shooter, but it's an open-world, sand- sandbox-style survival game. Players will mine, build, and defend a base in Asteroids Outpost. Atari says going from rocks to riches in the survival game. So really, it's just the name. Yeah, let me just stop you there. Uh, go on. No, it's not. It's not Asteroids at all. It's just the name, yeah. It's they're using the name. the name. Yeah. Anyway, I will not judge it. Well, I will. I'll judge it right now. <laughs> but I will have a look at it. I haven't looked yeah. at that one yet, but I will have a look at it. Is it still using the wireframe vector-type graphics? No, it's, I think it's a third-person GTA Five run-around kind of thing. Right, we're not advertising that anymore. Stop. Next. Well, yeah, next thing. Next. You don't need a ping. What's the other thing you've got? Oh, the horn We won't thing. give it a ping. We'll give it a... <laughs> <laughs> Right, next one. Super Rare Cabs, uh, Ninty Arcade, Alex's Facebook page, he's put on uh, some pictures that are just really interesting. Some super rare Japanese cabs. Yes. Oh, they're re- we put a link. There's some, I've not heard of half of these. There's GB, there's a Namco GB. There's two, actually. Sky Fighter 2 from Taito. I think that must be an electromechanical it job, is, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, it is. Jet Rocket from Sega, that must be electromechanical. Yeah, really old one. The one that caught my eye, right? It looks like a Monaco GP sat in a cocktail table yep. with, a, with a strange sort of triangular protrusion coming out of the top of the cocktail table, yeah. which is the screen and the steering wheel. It's a co- basically, it's a cocktail cabinet, but instead of the screen being inside the machine flat down and the tube pokes to the bottom of the, the arcade cabinet, it's, it's upright. It's like a vertical screen upright, and it's got sort of a, a shroud behind it, a box behind it to hide the tube and everything, and it sticks yeah. out to the left of the machine. So it's not in the middle even, like a proper cocktail, and it's got a steering wheel and gears on it. It's a really odd-looking thing. I don't know why they had to do it. Like they could have put it flat down, but it's the weirdest-looking thing. Very, very rare. Yeah, very strange. There's some good pictures to look on there. Oh, the picture's amazing. Cause it's, I think it's, it's someone's private collection, but it almost looks like a museum piece. There's so many rare cabs, and there's two G- Namco GBs next to each other. And there's mm-hmm. all sorts of weird and wonderful electromechanicals. I'd love to walk around that place. So maybe the next time I'm in Japan, I might have a look. But Japan's a big country. I'm not sure exactly where it is. It's not that big. It's not as big as, like, Bolton, really, is it? It's bigger than Wales. Wow. That is big. 
Uh, right, Tapcade, a new. I've been over to America for a lunch break again. I had a quite a long lunch break Tuesday afternoon, yeah. so I went over. And Tapcade, Kansas City, Missouri is opening 20th of Feb. That's brilliant. Loads of classics, which is what we want to see. Miss Pac-Man Joust, Tron Defender, the lot, Donkey Kong, uh-huh. Space Invaders. Usual suspects. Good suspects, mind. Yeah, so good luck to them. Uh, that being in Kansas City as well, um, there's a thing goes on every year called Kansas Fest. And it's mm. uh, a festival of uh, Apple II users. And a couple of the other podcasters I know, friends of ours, who yeah. actually go there. I think Carrington always goes there and Mike... Um, yeah. Kevin Savitz goes there from the Atari podcast, and it's a really good good thing. They, they, it's all sort of a nerdy thing, and they actually stay in dormitories, and they stay up all night programming and doing nerdy things, and they have little seminars, and um, Steve Wozniak turns up usually and signs things for people and has talks. Yeah. And hopefully those guys, when they finished appling around, they'll go into the arcade, mm. which is really cool. Right, um, Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon, I nipped over to Tokyo. Oh, yeah, on the bus, on Boz. Yeah, because they've got a... Actually, it's just finished. We're recording this on Sunday. The JPO, mm-hmm. Japan Arcade Expo Tokyo, has just finished. And what we were saying earlier about the resurgence in arcades, that they're still very much going strong in Japan. Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, this... Uh, what is it? Oh, there must be 20, 30 games that they're advertising like in this expo. Um, I'll just run through a couple of them. We've heard of a lot of them already. Yeah. Pokken Tournament. Yeah, love that name. From ba- Yeah, I do. From Bandai uh, Namco. Star Wars Battle Pod that was there. Tekken 7. Oh, 7th edition of Tekken. Cool. Jurassic Park, made in conjunction with Raw Thrills, Ooh. which is Eugene Jarvis's. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, Synchronica, which is a rhythm game which the Japanese seem to love. It's a touchscreen thing. Mm-hmm. I like and some little, rhythm games actually. Some of them are quite good. There's a little uh, YouTube video of some uh, girl playing it, and it is so quick. I bet she's about five zillion points when she's ten, yeah. probably. They're really, really fast. Mm. These these new ones. Um, Time Crisis Five. That was at the London show recently, wasn't it? Uh-huh. Uh, Square Enix Taito are, re- are releasing School of Ragnarok, a one on one fighter. I've heard of Ragnarok before. That must have been a game from back in the day. Is it like a Dungeons and Dragons thing or something mm-hmm. like that, is it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Wizrooge, a labyrinth of wizardry, a random dungeon RPG using actual figurines. Um, I've seen games from Japan where you put trading cards on, on a, like a surface. Yeah, I've seen it, them in the arcades over there when I went over there for yeah. my, my honeymoon. Yeah, they love it. There's, there's football ones and they do like they're managers of a team and all this sort of stuff and they bet on stuff and... Oh, there's all sorts of weird and wonderful things over there. It's, it's all sort of flat screen, touch screen things, but they have all these cards out. And it, it's quite a, a setup to do it all, actually. They're, they're really into it. I think you've got to be quite mm. dedicated to be bothered to do all that. But yeah, they, they really like it over there. Really so this one has figurines kind of thing, which I imagine be like a Skylander kind of setup where it can read information from them. Oh, okay. And it also works on smartphone. You can power up your character on smartphone. Oh, my Lord. See, that'll never work in western arcades would it we just couldn't be bothered could we no i don't think so i mean the japanese do get really into their fads like collecting figurines is massive over there yeah they just they just really get into their hobbies more than we do i think we just we do it for a while and get bored they just keep going and keep going and they go mad for it take all these figurines to an arcade we'd just lose them or something wouldn't we probably yeah (laughs) nicked i expect over here yeah Uh, they've also done final fantasy decidia arcade which is another role-playing fighter yeah. 
Reminds me a bit of that Hyrule Warriors that has come out with the Link running across fields attacking millions of people. Have you seen that? Yeah, with his sword. 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 <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with that? It's a sword. Everyone knows that. Capcom. Capcom seems to be back. Yep. Making arcade games. That's good. Uh, Luigi's Mansion, which is a version of the console thing, uh-huh. in conjunction with Sega and Nintendo, a three-way thing. That is, uh, I think they, that's what the Triforce hardware came out on. It was those three companies together that made um, uh, hardware for Sega, and I think that's what uh, Mario Kart GP runs on in uh-huh. arcades. Yeah. I like, it when they, I like it when they come together. Instead of battling each other and suing each other, I like it when they come together to make games. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, Capcom are also at the show released two other games, Cross Beats, which is another touchscreen rhythm game. Okay. With like, it looks like Japanese pop videos playing underneath, and you you actually press the button on the singers to to make you know in certain times. And that reminds me of a game I played in Japan called U Beat, J U B E A T, and it's sixteen buttons, clear buttons over a screen. So you get the images below, and and as the rhythm games play and the music plays. The, the the little buttons light up and fill up like um like being filled up with water, and yeah. as you as you press the buttons that makes the the rhythm go, and it's a brilliant game. You can get it on iPads and and touchscreen thingamabobs, and it's a really good game. It's really mm. fun, but I've never seen them in, on Western shores at all. There's another one I doing called Citus Omega, another touchscreen game. Sega themselves are, are doing something called Ship This arcade version. Okay. And what it says, it says, an anime girl, a naval warfare-based game that has a Sega anime card vending machine attached to it. Sega like their uh, their card vending things, don't they? They yeah. did that with the Mushy Kings and uh, the Loving Berries and all that sort of stuff, and the Dino yeah. Games. And uh, the last guys that were, the last big guys are there, Konami. Mm-hmm. They've, they're releasing a game called Disney Zamzam. Yeah. New Disney-themed touchscreen instant prize Videmption game. Stop, you just said Videmption. Not interested anymore. Go on. But the actual game looks quite good. It's like, oh, a, okay. like a vertical screen full of different characters, and you have to touch matching characters, like a match three game. Oh, yeah, yeah. But this is like match 93. You have to touch them all really quick. Uh-huh. They all pop, and the screen lowers. Oh, sounds like a Tetris stroke crossed with some other kind of puzzly type game that I can't remember the name of. That's yeah. quite fun, actually. But the, the thing about winning prizes, I've never really bothered about that. I just want to play no. games and have fun and try and get a high score. I'd love to win some beans. Some beans? Baked beans. I'd just love to win baked beans. Imagine imagine having a vending machine where you played Space Invaders, you'd finished a level, and a bit, big can of beans dropped out on your feet. How? <laughs> smart prize. Yeah. How I've won. How? I'm so happy. So that, that Disney game is supposed to have Anna and Elsa from Frozen, Winnie the Pooh, and other famous oh, Disney characters. God, I hate Frozen. Mm. I keep hearing that damn whiny song everywhere. Oh, parents, please stop playing it to your small children. Please. Thank you. I'm avoiding that, yeah. Mm. Um, Arcade Heroes, they did a little report on the show, and what they've said is quite um, interesting. It says, It is unlikely that most of these games will get official support outside of Japan, since they were designed for that market, and not all of these companies have branches set up in the Western world yeah. with people that know the business. That includes Konami, Square Enix, and Taito. Exceptions are companies like Bandai Namco and Sega, but even they do not release all of those games in the West. Um, the thing with that is, is having like Western distributors like Europe and North America and all the different territories. Years ago, when the old arcade games were coming out, people like Electrocoin in London, 
they used to do a lot of uh, promotion for these Japanese companies. I think John Sturges, the guy who runs Electrocoin, even to this day, he had very good links with um, with Universal uh, and other Japanese companies, Taito, and he used to promote their games and he used to bring out their own artwork for putting in games over here. And he was even he used to talk to the board of directors of these companies and even had influence on some of the game design. So that was back in the day. I don't know if they still have that now. I think he does things with um, Stern Pinball. Because when Casino was still open at um, an arcade in Gooch Street in London, they always had the latest Stern Pinballs. And those pinballs are expensive. Mm. Um, it was one of the best places to play them. You could always guarantee that when the new ones came out, sooner or later, they'd have it there. Right. Unfortunately, it's gone now. It's a, it's a betting thing now. Actually, a real casino, I think. Okay, let's get on to do some pickups. Right, I have written pickups. Sod all. There's enough crap in this house as it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tell me about the stuff you haven't picked up then. Yes, I'm stealing pickups again. Okay, that's good enough. I've only stolen one because it's really interesting and I didn't know this right. Uh-huh. Uh, I was having a look on the forums. A Phil V85, right, has picked up one of my favourite games. Dodonpachi Dao-Uju. Dao-Uju. Dao-Uju? Uh, d- yeah. Dao-Uju, like. Yeah, the, uh, one t- of the later Dodonpachis. We'll call it that, shall we? Yeah. Um, and you look at the picture. It's a Dao-Uju Tamashi PGM2 PCB cart. Right. Uh-huh. So I thought, what is that? It looks like a MVS cartridge. Mm-hmm. So I started reading up on it, and apparently this is this is... Forgive my technical ignorance. I'm not really into the technical side of it, as you know. Uh-huh. But apparently there was an IGS Polygame Master System, which was a, a rival of the MVS system, the Neo yeah. Geo system. And this, is, this one came out on the IGS Polygame Master System 2. Uh-huh. And apparently it's like the Neo Geo. You just plugged it in. Like it's a PCB in a plastic case, basically. Yeah. You plug, yeah. plugged it in and it'll play Dodon Patchy. Yeah, it was, um, it was released same sort of time as Namco, uh, as Neo Geo, and they had sort of uh, clear red cartridges. I've seen these before. And there was right. also um, one called the Thomas Wave, which took cartridges as well, but they were sort of a later, better hardware. But on the IGS, the game you probably know about is um, B-Storm, Dodonpachi 2. Yeah. That's the only place you could officially play that game. It came out on that cartridge only. Ah, right. And you may have heard of a game called Knights of Valor 2. Um, yes, I have. Yeah, I one and a... two. They're on. They're all on MAME. You can play them on mm. MAME, no problem. But yeah, it was, that was the hardware for it. it was these bright red cartridges. Yes, that's very interesting, that. Uh, not much for me either, really. Um, I bought a rather smart uh, phone case for my brand new, big, massive, expensive, thin phone. And it's got Pac-Mans all over it, which is quite cool. Yeah. Uh, other than that, uh, I, got, I got a PS3 game, not really arcade-related. Uh, I got this for Valentine's Day, my lovely wife. Uh, Toy Story 3, because I really like Toy Story 2 on the Dreamcast. Yeah? It's just a little platformer with uh, Buzz and Woody and all the favourites, which I quite like. <laughs> Some of them old games, the, the, the children's base games are a lot of fun, aren't they? Well, children-minded based games, yeah, for us. <laughs> yeah, so that's it, really. Um, not really had any arcades. I'm, I'm sort of waiting for a few things to arrive, which I'll hopefully report on in a few weeks. But yeah, uh, for, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Not, no. not great. Not great this week. This watch. Watch how I skillfully uh, ooze into this next one. Feedback. Yay. We got lots of this. This will make up for our rubbish pickups. I should be spending my money a bit more often. I think. <laughs> yeah. 
So, Silver Fox, not 786. Yes, he you does. He don't like that, does he? No. Silver Fox, 0786. He listens on headphones to avoid crap TV his wife watches. <laughs> Victor, are you trying to get me lynched? I built a scratch-built Pac-Man, not a Miss Pac-Man. Sean, what happened to your selfie stick, by the way? I think he's referring to that picture of you, uh, taking a picture of yourself with a puka from last week, <laughs> last two weeks ago. Yeah. And he said EA-ROM, which uh, is what Dig Dug uses to keep the high scores, is electronically alterable read-only memory, and it uses minus 29 volts, which is the bizarrest volts I've ever heard of. And J-Rock does the replacements, which uh, just uses 5 and 12 volts. You can play it on a normal jammer machine, and it will save your high scores. Yeah. He said, oh, a weird observation. Victor, you say my username is Silverfox0786, and it sounds odd. You did so at the last podcast. Did I? Uh, but Sean said it was the way it's intended. Zero on this podcast. Uh, great podcast, by the way. And please, no more Atari 2600 blasphemy, or you won't get your copy of Dalek Berserk, which I'm hoping to get off of him soon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cheers for the mentions. Hopefully I'll get to show you my collection. I am going to go around and see him, because he only lives in Slough, not very far away from me. Uh, yeah. He's a clever chap, and he's been up to... Good things with uh, hardware. He's been designing his own PCBs and hacking and stuff, so that's quite interesting. Mm. Uh, Hitesh, another friend of ours, uh, hopes it's 10 hours long for his flight back from Mexico. Uh, sorry, it wasn't that long. I don't think we can yap for that long. We could try. <laughs> Alpha One, Ol, awesome artwork. He really likes the picture. Really enjoyed the latest podcast, guys. Uh, Pac-Man 83, John Studley. Nice job, guys. Just a quick update. Donald Hayes regained his Dig Dug world record in November 2014. He heard about it at Funspot while he was there, because he goes there nearly every year to, to do his, his world championships with his uh, Pac-Man. Yeah. 5,429,010 points. That's a lot. It's quite a few points. So Apparently, points. beside the colossal score, Don had to dig earth for hours to get that score. You've know, you got to run around digging the earth for 10 points apiece. Yeah. Oh, how boring. Uh, Ken House's score, you know that Ken House? Yeah, from that, the TV that Doctor series. Telly, yeah. Uh, was claimed to be monumental. Donald Hayes truly is a classic gaming phenomenon. He, he is very. Donald Hayes has got about, I don't, I, I say off the top of my head, 20 world records. He's really, really good at lots of games. He's just a natural, that guy. And lots of seconds and thirds as well, if you look on Twin Galaxy. I think he probably was the world record holder for quite a few years until people just pipped him at the post. Yeah. It's, just, it's only time before he regains his championship spice with you. Hopefully, yeah. when I'm at Funspot, because I, I have been there f twice now, and hopefully I'll go again one day. Uh, if you go over the world championships uh, weekend, which is, I think, the last week in May, uh, you'll probably meet people like that there. They usually turn up. People like Billy Mitchell and Walter Day and all the sort of favourites from... Mm. Uh, Kong and all that lot. Anthony Graham, our man on the cameras. Hi, guys. Great show. Though something did dawn on me during the show. At Arcade <laughs> Club, Sean was telling me how he created the artwork and showed me the pic of him posing ready for this one, ready to draw it. During the show, when we talked about the last shocking one, it dawned on me. There may be a pic of Sean posing for the last one, too. The black hole one. Yes. Yeah. And he was going, going to go out and poke his mind's eye out so he couldn't see it anymore. Yeah, what I do um, a lot of the time to get to get an idea of the image, I f take a photo of myself, yeah, and and then I, I kind of use the shape and then put the cartoon over the top of it, and so the one with me posing on a block, um, let's just say. Can I stop you there? Uh, yeah. Just stop you there. Yeah. I don't want to know. 
Let's just say the photo has been deleted and the phone melted. That's it. <laughs> Put on a fire. He yeah. also goes on to say, uh, give Dub, Wor- Dub Wars a whirl with twin joysticks and try the Robotron style I was trying to describe to Sean. It, of course, works on twin stick joypad, but twin sticks, actual arcade sticks, it's where it's at. I also now know we'll always hear that Benny Hill, music- Hill theme music when he plays games now, especially pac <laughs> He says he's rubbish at a lot of them, but enjoy them anyway. Uh, he also must correct you. He didn't thrash you on Street Fighter 4 when he was there. He was pretty even because he'd never played it before. And you were just rubbish, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chucky Alex, he is Dig Dug today because he's got fence panels to erect. So he's going to be digging around, putting in fence panels. I hope you don't digging come across any, uh, any pukas or figars when he's around. <laughs> and it'll it keep him entertained while he's chasing the dragon. He was very disappointed Sean is not an Amiga gay and not a Nintendo gay. Remember we did our, uh, our outtakes? Yeah. And uh, he said he could have joined his club and he put a big photo of Alex in an orange wig with a vacuum cleaner. Make of that, listeners, what you will. <laughs> yes. Very strange. Otto, T-M-A-E. The mad and evil. That's the one. I don't know why everyone's so disturbed by this picture. You got off lightly. I've been to Sean's house and that's how he greeted me. It's not true. I got out of the shower, I had a towel around me, and it got caught around something, <laughs> and it fell off. That's it. That's it, Dave. Don't worry about it, mate. Uh, hooray, banana. Eric, are you talking about alien breed? You know, we said uh, they should have uh, bought out, a, Atari should have bought out a gauntlet game, but based on a space theme? Yes. And he said they did, and it was called Zybot, but they decided to go pseudo 3D with it. And he's right. That's exactly what it is, but from a different perspective. I don't like I remember it that. Never liked that it- game. It was kind of a, a, it must have been at the beginning of the 3D thing. It's quite a jerky kind of game, isn't it, if you look at it? Yeah, you go into the screen and it jumps about a bit. I didn't like it. Yeah. Nice cabinet, though. Uh, Benson Rad, great podcast as usual. I would class Alien Syndrome as a gauntlet with aliens. He is correct there, definitely Mm. is. It might not be Atari, though, it's Sega, but it has been done. Good to see that Wayne's World sample was found during the editing process. Yes, I did look for it and find it for you. <laughs> uh, and he says your new noises will be effects uh, and they'll be in next time's outtakes. I think I've yeah. banned you from doing them effects anyway. You go far too wobbly on me when those sound effects. No, they're gone. Yeah, they're gone. And he said he should really keep a notepad with him to hand while he listens. By the time he gets home, he can't remember what he was going to say in terms of feedback. And he also says, were there no pickups this time round? I think he must have missed that bit because there was lots. But this time, none. Yeah, I've got ten books. Ten whole virtual books. Virtual books. Yeah. Uh, QED. Love the podcast, guys. Only started listening recently. I think I started with number 25 and looking forward to the next one. How about a Mr. Do? Doing a bit of, doing a bit of Mr. Do? I don't think so. Do, do you uh, like it? Well, Mr. Do is obviously going to be talked about when we did Dig Dug because it's quite similar games. Very mm. different, but quite similar, if you know what I mean. Um, I think what we're going to do for the next few episodes is try and get back to our roots and do a few odd games, older games that people may not have heard of. Because we've done quite a few popular ones lately, haven't we? Yeah. And, mm. uh, you know, we, we've sort of done these popular ones. And by complete acts of fluke, no quarter, have done games we've done and we've done ones they've done. And it's been complete coincidence. Um, mm. So, yeah, we're going to try and get back to our roots. But now we're going to do some odd ones. I bet they'll do some odd ones as well. I just do know, you know they've. They've recently done Swimmer, which you yes. and Alex did. 
on podcast number three. Yeah, so that's it is weird, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Mike didn't like it. But I'm glad Carrington did because I, I really like that game. It's such a silly little game, and the cabinet is beautiful. Yeah. And it, it I actually said uh, I sent Mike uh, an email about it, saying that we'd done it. And the thing with me with Swimmer is it's not so much the game play i remember it's the time i played it and who i was with and where i was when i first found it i i saw it in barcade in astoria in new york when i was over there on holiday and we were with some friends over there and andrew uh, was showing me some games i never played before and he got me into um i think it was called pigskin which is an american football game which might sound odd for a uk person we don't know what the hell goes on with american football (laughs) but it's a really silly game where you got to beat up the other players you're like cavemen or sort of old yeah. times, man. And you've got to beat the crap out of each other to get the ball. And it's a lot of fun. And when you're playing together and you, you've had a few drinks and that, it's a lot of fun. And I found Swimmer and the cabinet is beautiful. There's artwork all over it. I reckon there's artwork probably on the back door even. And because of the, the fun time we had that night and what Andrew got up with having a few drinks, it was hilarious. I wasn't drinking that night because we had to go on the plane the next day home. Yeah. Uh, and it was just a lot, a lot of fun with friends and people I'd met before. And the night was so good. It was such a good atmosphere. Everyone was enjoying themselves and behaving themselves. There was drinks flowing. There was people three and four deep to get to arcade machines by the end of the night. And wow. it was such a good atmosphere. I totally recommend that place. So that's what Swimmer reminds me of. Not particularly the game, yeah. but the, the actual atmosphere. and what, the when good I did, times. Yeah, the good yeah. times. It's sort of like when we go to our shows and we find a game that everyone really likes and everyone's into it and we're sort of having a fight to get to it. And it, it's just brilliant. That's, the, that's mm-hmm. the thing I like most about this hobby, I think. Yeah. I've had some feedback from Darth Nuno. Uh, great show, guys. Regarding the Ridge Racer PlayStation 1, we talked about a couple of podcasts back. Yes, I remember. Did you know that Sony closely worked with Namco on the hardware specs in order to have a Ridge Racer version as close as possible to the arcade one? I didn't know that. I did. Ah, so somehow the PlayStation hardware has been developed with this target to make a 3D game such as Ridge Racer playable day one. Mm-hmm. The next Namco games came, Cyber Sled, Starblade, Tekken Ace Combat, very quickly after Ridge Racer because they were on the same hardware model. Yep. Speaking about Namco, I really enjoyed the Dig Dug section. A lot more than I enjoyed playing it, I would think. Yeah. I played that game so many times uh, in arcades in the 80s, but on Namco Museum Volume 3 on PlayStation 1, and I had, a, I had an overdose of that game. I played it such a long time, and, uh, and I never felt the need to play it again until today after listening to your show. So that's what we like doing, making you lot play games again. Brilliant. Yeah, it's good, that, isn't it? It's a good feeling when you it get is. someone to, to waste their time playing games. It's not wasting your time. It's great, isn't it? We're arcade pimps. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't know the few tips that you were on about, and listening to you speaking about the game gave me the need to go back on it. I also owe Namco Classic Collection 2 Jammer Board, uh-huh. so I'll be able to play the arrangement version. Oh, and I strongly suggest you get the Namco Classic Collection 1 board, especially for the Xevious arrangement. Yes, I would like to get hold of that, but unfortunately it's got quite expensive. When I bought my Namco Classics 2, which is the one he, he, uh, Bruno mentions that's got um, Dig Dug on it, it was actually quite cheap. I think I got for about 40 or 50 pounds. And now it's well over 100. It's quite sought after. Right. Number one is because it's got versions of Mappy on it and Xevious and I think Gallagher. It's got Gallagher mm. on it as well. And it's got the arrangement versions of that. And I'm not playing. You can play them main, no problem. But to have the actual board would be quite nice, I think, because you can have a multi-game on a, on a jammer machine, which it always appeals to me because they're playing more than one game. 
Mm. Oh, Andy at Arcade Club was telling me an, an expensive board he got. Um, Vimana, you know, because um, I'm mad on Terra Planet at the minute. Yes, I've heard of that uh, one. So that was in a cab last night. So we had nice. three, there was three candies in the row, right? There's Snow Brothers, yeah. which is like a, a bubble bubble kind meh, of thing. Meh. Great, great graphics, though. Really. It's, it's nice looking, but I don't know the game very much. Smart little animations. Mm-hmm. Then next to that was Vimana, and next to that was Truxton. It was a Toa Plan powerhouse of an evening. Oh, I bet you loved that. Yeah, it's great. Uh, the, guys, the guys from Sky Cursor, they were listening to the, one of our podcasts when I actually rang them up. On, Sky- on Skype, yeah. um, I was talking to, I think I was talking to Phil first. I said hello, and I was saying, oh, how are you guys doing? And I could hear my voice in the background. I thought, I said to him, I'm getting some really weird feedback. I hear my voice. He said, oh, no, we've got your podcast on. Don't worry. And I thought, oh, God, <laughs> yeah. it's weird hearing your own voice, not speaking what you're saying. Because I thought it was a bit of feedback where you speak into the microphone and you hear it back at like a millisecond later. Yeah. But I was actually talking about something else. I was like, am I going mad here? <laughs> and those guys are really looking forward to your Turplan thing as well because they're big Turplan flan- fans. They're big Turplan flans as well. Flans oh. full of Turplan, that's what they are. Right. I'm aiming, right, to get all the research done, hopefully for the beginning of March. Okay. So we can, you know, we can sort of discuss it and then put together a podcast, you know, yes. after that. You do all the research, I play some of the games, and I butt in. Mm. Sounds fair. Okay. Uh, the last bit of feedback from Bruno, uh, Exevious Arrangement, that game rocks and the music is awesome. P.S. Namco rules. He's mad on Namco. Bruno, you are correct. And mm-hmm. hopefully, some of us lot are going to be going to see Bruno before long uh, in Belgium. Um, and if I go over, which I strongly want to, I'll show him how to play Dig Dug a little bit if he's got mm-hmm. one. That'd be cool. And the last bit of feedback from I am Jimmy. Great news to hear that Arcade Club is moving to the new frontier. That's not to take anything away from the current venue. Uh, that's that is imminent. It is happening. I think it's uh, two or three weeks off yet. Okay. But stay tuned, and we'll let you know. Yeah, that is absolutely. I, I loved when I went to Arcade Club to see you for your birthday. We travelled mm-hmm. up there. It is such a nice venue, um, but it can mm. only hold so many cabinets, and it had a good arrangement of cabinets and pinball. Old and new yeah. games, absolutely brilliant. But the better thing that's going to happen now, because it's moving to the new frontier, <gasps> more games. Yeah. So that's obviously got to be a good thing. Yeah. They had to kick me out again last night. I bet they did. Do you have your sleeping bag and your pillow? It was half ten and everyone had gone. They're like, Sean, yeah. please go home. And I was still on Wonderboy. Yeah, those all stood around me. Ah, which is good because I have a photo of my high score, so I will show you that later on. Like I'm not going to believe you. <laughs> or care. <laughs> and, and on that, that note, the feedback, yes, I think. Let's do some shout outs. Uh, right, shout outs. I'm going to give a very general shout out to the entire world. I'd like to give the world a hug. How about them? Apples. You massive hippie. No one ever gives me a shout out. I've only got one, one thing to say, really, because. I've been a bit ill, a bit busy, uh, not a chance to do much in the arcade, been doing a bit of uh, game playing and sort of stuff. But it's got to be to the Sky Cursor guys who I spoke to yesterday. I had a really good conversation with them. I love what they're doing. Really nice, genuine guys. And hopefully they're going to keep us, in particular, updated with their progress in Sky Cursor. Mm. Excellent. Brilliant. Okay, that was quick. Uh, let's do some what console slash computer games should have been in the arcades. Right, this is one from listener QED. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, thoughts for a game that could be, could be converted to an arcade cab? How about One Finger Death Punch? I didn't know what that was. I had to look it up. I love that name. Yeah. I will give you a One Finger Death Punch. <laughs> love it. If the clunky menu was improved, it could have potential, as it only needs two buttons to play and not even a joystick. Have a look if you've never heard of it. What it is... I saw it. it. It's a PC game, and it played with two mouse buttons. You've got attack left and attack right, and you are in the middle of the screen... And guys are coming in, and you're like a stickman drawing. Yes, it, it almost looks like you know when you see um, like a, um, an emergency exit sign. It's normally a green board, and there's a big white door, and there's a little white guy running towards the door. That's yeah. what your character looks like. He's a little sort of roundy stickman, as you said. Um, but I, I looked on the on the video of it, and there is some horrendous violence in this game. <laughs> I know it's just but, amazing, but I wouldn't normally like that. It's done in such a fun and silly way. I totally approve of it. It's just really bizarre because you're a little stick man. It looks so innocent, yeah. but yeah, you can. It's little stick men kicking, slashing, and chopping the shiz out of each other. I really like the look of it. I think it would work in the arcade. I think it's inspired by a YouTube series of videos called Ziao Ziao, X I A O X I A O. Ziao Ziao. And they were done with a um, a 2D animation program that me and my son used to have great fun. You, you get a stick man, you can move him, press a button and it will freeze the frame and you can move him again, move him again. And you can bring other assets in like weapons, guns, and you oh, can really? sa- save it as a GIF or a, a little animation. And it's it's years old, this thing, but this ZLZL took it to another level with all the blood and it was like a little... like free-running kind of video some of it or is running over buildings and it looks exactly like that i would imagine that's what they've got their inspiration from do you know what those programs are for they're for people with far too much spare time yeah and i love them i think they're brilliant those little silly things where it just takes hours and hours away your time and you've done like a little five minute video but it's just a lot of fun doing it i can't remember the name of it but, um, yeah, it was a, a really good little thing, and my son used to love doing it. Okay, uh, yes, right. that's that one. I think that would be a good game with two, two massive buttons to press. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be quite Some big buttons where you could, the harder you hit them, the more it works, perhaps, or the more beating the heck out of the other stickmen you do. Mm-hmm. Well, the cab wouldn't last long, but it'd be quite fun. Yeah. Okay, right. The next one is the one I'm probably going to have to go into rehab about. I bought this flipping iPhone and I downloaded a game just because I thought, oh, it's a bit like Frogger. A game called Crossy Road. You get it on iOS, the, you know, the Apple-y bit, and obviously the little cute green robot, the Android platform as well. This game is basically like a free-running Frogger. Yeah. It's sort of a, an isometric, forced isometric business, up-the-screen jobby, and you play it on an iPhone or you know, Android, Samsung thing, whatever other devices are available. And you just tap the screen, as is most of those games, to make your character, not just a frog, your character jump forward one step. And if you swipe to the left or the right, or even backwards, they'll jump that way as well, like Frogger would. But because it's a forced isometric thing, and everything is really, really overly blocky for for that that sort of effect, and you get like trucks running backwards and forwards and there's trains that whiz by and you get little bits where there's um, ravines and, and logs you can jump on and you can get different characters and because it's one of these these phone games there's like in-app purchases you can get to you can pick up coins as well and when you get to certain bits you can buy stuff and it'll give you free gifts and i think the idea is you pay to play sort of thing that kind of thing well, i don't bother with that 
But you can also have different characters. And at the moment, I'm a penguin. <laughs> right. Which is quite cool, because I like penguins. Yeah, they're um, good. But if you had this in the arcade, how cool would that be? You could sort of... Obviously, it'd be a joystick game, up, down, left, right, just like Frogger. But yeah. it'd be an endless Frogger. You wouldn't just get to the top, get your frog away, and get another five of them away. Then it's the next one. You just keep going and keep going until the traffic got so much and so difficult. Because it actually records your high score. Because you, as you jump forward, you get one point for doing a step. And my, my record at the moment is 102. I hit people are laughing their socks off now. I think, is that all? But yeah. as you get towards your high score, it's actually written in the road. So my, yeah. my previous high score was like 79 or something. And as you go across the road, it's like written in the road, Vertvik, 79 steps. And you keep going. But the, the animations, when you get run over, it's like, pong, and you stick to the side of the cars <laughs> or it flattens you in the road. It's a lot of fun. I can imagine playing in the arcade, you know, you could maybe have a, a card reader even, so you could save your character. So when you play it, you might start off as a, a basic frog. And if you've gone, you've done really well and done so many steps or you've done so many points or whatever, you can gain different characters and you can use them later on and save them to your card, you know, like the modern games do. That would be brilliant. Mm. And I can imagine the graphics on the side as well, the big, chunky penguins and rhinos and chickens and all this sort of stuff. I really like it. But it's a good game. But I think it needs a joystick. I'm not too good with a tappy-tappy on the screen. needs a joystick. Yeah, and when you uh, take too long, because as you're playing the game, if you wait too long, the screen slowly comes down. It forces you off the end of the screen. But as you get to the bottom of the screen, your time runs out. This flipping great eagle comes across and kills you. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it at first. I was quite shocked about it. I thought it was hilarious. I wasn't expecting that either. I bet you weren't. Uh, Sounds like a, a Videmption game to me where you give out tickets. Wouldn't that be great? No. No. No, right. Uh, my one, console computer game that should have been in the arcade. Uh-huh. Can you remember an 80s motocross kind of challenge program called Kickstart? Oh, yeah. I was a big fan. And and they went over obstacles and did all crazy stuff on their on their bikes. Yeah, it's like um, what do they call it? It's like a cross country type thing when they used to jump over big logs and slippery bits and things like on the motorbikes. It's quite skillful and they used to get yeah. docked points if they put their foot on the ground or they fell off or whatever. Well, there was a a game called Kickstart. They took the C out, so it's K I K Start, complete yep. rip off of the series, yep. and that that was a bike, um, a side on view where you sort of go along and you you go fast over over the jumps and slow over the gates and over logs and stuff and it was a game where you could control the acceleration you could do wheelies yeah um and the speed and i think that was it but it was such a an addictive game to get to the end of each course and it also had a good two-player mode and i think that would be a good game you are dead right it it was out on the c64 atari 8-bit spectrum amiga quite a few yeah i had on the atari 8-bit and I actually loved this game. It was a, a Massatronic game, which was one of the budget mm. games we had over in the UK. And I loved it. I don't think Kickstart 2 came out on the Atari 8-bit, but Kickstart 1 did. And it was a really cool little game. I really enjoyed that. It sort of looks a bit like Excitabike. Yeah, and the, the old 70s game Stunt Cycle as well. Yeah, that kind where of thing. Where you leap over the buses. I think that with a, a set of handlebars like Enduro mm. Racer type thing. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? If it would actually, be good. You yeah. could pull back. If you stood on, you sat on the machine, like on a little bit yeah. of a bike, and you pulled back to do wheelies and stuff. Oh, yeah. imagine it had force feedback in it as well. So as you went over corrugated logs and stuff, it used to bump about. 
Yeah, and okay. I've written here, uh, some nice side art could be a guy on a dirt bike crashing, crashing into a wall, lots of blood in brackets. Maybe not that. I'm, I must have been a bit, <laughs> must have been mental when I wrote that. Yeah, I think that would be very good, a good arcade game. Right then, let's go on to the next part. Let's do a musical interlude. What is it, my friend? Right, this time uh, we're going to pick Vulcan Venture, which was Radius 2, mm-hmm. from Konami. Um, I was listening to the soundtrack... There's twenty, must be twenty songs, either you know, each about a minute, yeah. and at least twelve of them are good. So I've picked one, which oh. is the one I remember because it's the first level. Because I never got off the first level with them uh, massive dragons flying out of the suns. Ooh, um, play that as a game of the future game, I think. If you're not very good at it, <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Okay, let's uh, pop so yeah, that so, one on then, shall we? So this is yeah, Vulcan Venture. Okay, let's get on to Featured Game Review, and I'm going to let my old friend Sean tell you about this one. Yeah, this is the one I chose two weeks ago, and I really like it. It I, it does have frustrating elements, but uh, it is very good. It's called Wonder Boy by Sega, 1986, developed by Escape. And it sounds a little bit like this. Mucky muck, castle made of clouds. There sits Wonder Boy sitting oh so proudly. No, no, sorry, wrong song. It sounds a bit like this. Escape also code called Westone, and they went bankrupt last year, which is, that, is a shame. Is that Westone or West One? Ah, yeah. Mm, mm. Could be, couldn't it? You say potato, I say potato. West, yeah. I never I say potato, that's just silly. Yeah, crazy, crazy saying that. Tell me about the, uh, the controls of this funny game. Two-way, two-button, you've got left, right, and then a jump and a speed fire button, uh, all mapped to the same button. Yes. Mm. It is tricky to get a hang of the inertia in this game. He's a skiddy little critter, isn't he? He's a slippery... <laughs> and if you press speed and jump together, it gives you a higher jump. That's right. You don't have to get a run-up, but it just does an immediate higher jump, which is important to know that. Yep. Also, I must say one thing about this game. When you're looking to do some research on this game, as we do, you get lots of hits for the Tenacious D song. Have you noticed that? I didn't know I didn't do that. Also, it's the same kind of thing as when you look for uh, the Sega Naomi games or machines, it always seems to find 
bleeding Naomi Watts or Naomi Campbell. I don't want to know about those ladies. I want to know about an arcade machine. Thank you very and, much. Unless they are playing a Dreamcast machine, yeah. I've never seen them on a, a Naomi system, mm. actually. <laughs> Go on, tell us about the game. It kind of reminds me of like a Super Mario Brothers and Pac-Land kind of thing. Definitely Pac-Land for me. Definitely yeah, Pac-Land. So left, yeah, it's a left-to-right scrolling platformer. The player controls a young boy seeking to rescue his kidnapped girlfriend as ever, uh, called Tina. She's called Tina on the flyer. Ah, Tina. Yeah. Making use of items such as throwing axes and riding skateboards in order to proceed through eight areas, each consisting of four rounds split into four checkpoints. And a boss at the end of each uh, round. Mm, left to right scrolly game. Jump about, hit things with axes. Sorry, boss at the end of each area, not each round. Yeah. It's a fast-paced game. Power bar at the top acts kind of like a timer. You've got to get to the end of the level before that goes down, but that can be replenished by grabbing fruit. That's your vitality bar, yeah? Yeah. Hitting rock piles will delete the power bar. Yes, it does. You fall over in a kind of fun fashion. And I was getting him to do that because I hate this man, this little man so much. I thought I'll make him fall over a lot. And I thought, hold on a minute, that's making me bar go down. I not do that anymore. All the bad guys will kill you immediately, yes. despite the power bar, as does falling into the sea or falling off a platform into a big hole. Cracking open eggs gives axes, which is your primary weapon. Yep. They also uh, give out skateboards, which gives you a constant forward speed but you've got more power of the inertia. You can almost do a full stop. Yeah. And also you can take one hit before you die. So if you hit, the skateboard disappears. You the skateboard, yeah. yeah. And also you can get fairies out of the eggs, which give you invulnerability. So you run like Billy or when you've got that. Have you ever cracked an egg for a sandwich or something and you found a fairy in it? It's so annoying. Uh, no. Only when I was making flans. It's really flans. annoying. If you, yeah. if you cracked a, an egg and a skateboard came out of it, That'd never fit in your frying pan. If it was one of them, uh, I, I have cracked an egg and a skateboard came out of it. Do you know what it was? What's that? My friend, it was a Kinder egg. Kinder, you bolshiki. Me unscrabbly. Shocker-dooby! I was addicted to that chocolate for a while, so I had 287,000 things. Yeah. Used to buy them for my son. Where's the chocolate, Dad? Oh, it, it fell off in the shop. Fell off in the shop, son. Here, have a little skateboard. You went, yeah, cheers. Yeah, where were we? Where am I? Oh, yeah, uh, and, and a Grim Reaper egg. Do not get that, because that, a little Grim Reaper comes out and your power bar goes down quicker. Your vitality bar depletes quicker. Yes. You know what I noticed about um, the character? You play a little yellow-haired guy, a little sort of caveman dude. Mm. It's, when, you, when you hold down the run button, his legs go like the clappers. They go 50 to the dozen. Yeah. But his knee, his legs don't seem to bend at the knees. He's doing sort of a can-can run when he does it. It's hilarious. Really, really oddly animated. Mine do that when I run. Do yours not? No. Mine go the other way. <laughs> I don't run unless there's a bus needing catching. Yeah. If you die, you go back to the previous checkpoint, but hopefully it's not too far back. Okay. All right, the enemies. There's lots of enemies. Snails, frogs. Oh, the frogs, man. Have you... Yep, I've seen the frogs, because Leon went quite a way through the game for me and showed me a, a few things. A friend of mine, Leon, came around to help me out with the game, because I'm rubbish at it, as you'll find out on my rubbish score later on. Yeah. And um, he was showing me some of the things, and there's two different types of frogs. There's one that just stands still, and you hit him twice, twice, yeah. to kill off. Yeah. Most enemies only need one hit. These dudes need two. So I was running into frogs a lot, hitting them with the axe, and he just run into the damn things. And there's yeah. also a frog that jumps over you. Yeah. You've got to watch him. 
And one little point I've just put in here now is on the later levels, well, on all the levels, there's a dolly. You find a little doll. Yeah. And when you get the doll, you get to the end of the level, however much vitality you've got left over, you get a bonus. And I think the maximum, if you've got a full vitality bar, is 10,000 points. Yeah. If you also find the dolly for that level, you get double that. You get the mm. same again for the dolly bonus. And on one of the levels later on, I saw on a video of a guy completing the game, there's a bit where the dollies are hidden. You can't find them normally. Yes. And what you've got to do is the, this one bit where the frog jumps over you, you've got to move. Let him jump over you about three times. He goes down the hill and he lands on his last jump on a rock, and the rock turns into the doll. Mm. How, yeah. how difficult would that be to find the first time round? And it, there's a reason to find all the dollies we'll get onto later as well. There's, there's, a, there's a special reason where you've got to find all the dollies. Yeah. So, yeah, those frogs, that they, I think they deliberately slow the pace of the game down or speed it up. You've got to know which type of frog it is. Cause if you They're try a slightly and jump, different colour, you know. Yeah, they mm. are, yeah. If you jump and the frog jumps, you're dead. You've had it, yeah. So you've got to run underneath it. Uh, you get octopuses, octopi. Octo- Ooh, mmm, pies with octopuses Octo- in. Octoflams. You get swordfish. Do you know the octopuses? Yeah. What do they remind you of? The little red rubbery octopuses. Uh, nothing. Really well, right. when I was a kid at school in the seventeen fifties, whenever it was, <laughs> there was this toy we used to get. It was a big thing at my school, and it was like a, a sort of a, a sticky rubber octopus. Oh yeah! And you used yeah. to lob them at a window or a smooth surface, and they, they'd crawl down the window. They sort of fall and stick as they were doing it. They look yeah. exactly like the octopi in this game. Yeah. Oh, you said you mentioned swordfish. Yeah, swordfish. Swordfish. Uh, blue natives. Yeah, the blue people coming over here, taking our yeah. jobs. Blue flame skulls. I didn't go that far. W- without the skeletons. Oh. Uh, your favourite bats. Yep. Cobras. Pop out of the ground if you're running, and they pop out of the ground, you're dead. They do, they hiss at you. The key to this game is knowing when to run and when to walk. And I, I have a lot of problems with that. Yeah. Uh, spiders. Spiders. Spiders, even Ewoks, they look to me exactly like Ewoks. Did you get to them? I didn't get to them because I was rubbish at this game. But Leon showed me. And what happens is as you go past a flower in the ground, and depending on what colour the flower is, very soon after you've run past that flower, a little guy, a little Ewok will come from behind you and he'll just run right at you. And he's quicker than you as well, so he'll run into you and kill you. And depending on what colour that flower is as well, like the frogs from earlier one of them will jump at you and do like a jump kick. So you've got to know when to stay down or jump yeah. over them and then throw your axes at him quick. So, yeah, that's a little sort of a secrety thing there if you know what you're doing, which I didn't. Yeah, so they they're, um, can be quite tricky. The obstacles, as we mentioned before, rock piles, fires to leap over, yep. rolling boulders, falling icicles, which if you're on an ice level and you're skidding all over the place can be hard to dodge. There was an ice level? Question mark. You haven't got to the ice level? Oh, God, no. Oh my word! Uh, levels, yeah. That this, it like you say, it's say five or six backgrounds that repeat over and over, over like and a, over, and ad infinitum. Yes, <laughs> you've they got do. Like a grassland caverns, ice caves, sea levels with cloudy platforms, hilly regions, forests. Any knackered villages? No knackered villages like in Rygarb, but okay. there should be. And mountainous areas later on that I didn't get to, but uh-huh. um, I've seen uh, a guy last night get get to them. Yeah. Right, the pickups are the eggs, which we've mentioned, and the fruit, yeah. and the dolls, which you get 10,000 bonus at the end of the round maximum. Yes. Um, if you collect them all, right, 
So yes, you've got there's 29 or 30 of them, is there? Yeah, it's supposed to unlock a level 8. Yes, the very last speak, level. I was speaking to a guy last night, and he says you don't need to do it. Level 8 still appears. Oh, if, really? Yeah. I read it didn't. I read you had to get all the dollies for level 8 to appear, like a secret last level. So I don't know, then. It could, could be either way, that. We'll never get that far. We'll never know. Oh, no way. Um, milk gives you full power. Oh, yes, yes. Because that normally yeah. appears just before a boss, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. And the mushrooms turn your fruit into junk food. So you get 500 points for each piece of f- fruit that is turned into junk food. Mm, instead of burgers. 50, instead of 50 or 100. So yeah. that's massive, massive points. Uh-huh. Um, at the end of each area is a boss guy, and he has a different head on every time. Yeah, he's like Wurzel Gummidge. Yeah, except without all the hay. Yeah. Yeah, and you, sh- <laughs> you shoot his head off, literally. You have to shoot him in the head, so and his, his head, head falls, falls off. off. And then you can pick up a piece of poor Tina's... He's, he's nicked all the stuff off Tina. He's a cretin, this guy. He is. Uh, you, yeah, you, he's got a slipper, he's got perfume, jewellery, he's got a little teddy bear later on. Oh, I dare. So, so you pick all that up and then it, it appears in your bar at the top left of the screen. That's right. I presume you get a bonus at the very end of the game when you, you collect Artina. Yeah, so the e- Artina, here's all your stuff, and she say thanks and then go off with the other guy down the arcade, won't she? You know, you it's mentioned I- the pickups. When you mm. get the ferry, it makes you invincible for a short amount of time. The ferry follows you behind. And as you're yes. running, you can run through everything, all the bad guys, all the fire, all the mm. rocks, and you get big points for it. And also, another thing, little tip that Leon gave me... Is when you've got the ferry behind you and you're jumping about, is when you're on a platform, if you can fall off the platform rather than jumping off it and as the ferry's about to go, you'll last longer. As long as the ferry's on the screen and hasn't disappeared off the screen, you're still invulnerable. So if you jump, the ferry will exit the screen quicker. So it's always best to stay low and keep the, the ferry on the screen as long as wow. possible. So you can keep, yeah, he's a good player, a really good he must player. Be, yeah, he must be an expert then. Yeah, yeah he is. He can play it for years, one of his favourite games. Um, any secrets to the game? The dolls can be hidden in rock piles. Yeah, there's lots of secrets in this game. You've just got to learn that, haven't you? Because hitting a rock pile depletes your vitality. Yeah, but sometimes you've got to jump on it to get the dolly to appear, yeah. Yeah. And you can you can pick up these hidden extras. A letter E, S and C for escape, I presume, the, the company. You oh, pick yeah. up all three and you get an extra man, mm-hmm. which I very rarely did. You get little tiny boys as well. And you can pick them up for an extra life as well. Little yeah, it's not as dolls dodgy. of yourself. Not as dodgy as it sounds, that. No. that that's, that's an extra man. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah, like I was saying earlier, the, the, the play tips, you've just got to know when to run. You've got to learn the levels, really. Yep. When to leap the frogs, when, when a platform is going to disappear, uh, and when it's going to, like, keep scrolling up or keep scrolling down or move up and down. Yeah, the, the, the scrolling, you're always going from left to right. Always, always, always. But every yeah. now and again on some of the jumpy levels, like when you're in a cavern, the screen does move up and down a little bit as well and sort of follows your guy around as you're doing it, but it doesn't actually scroll up or down. Yeah. Now, the biggest part, problem I have with this rubbish game, it's rubbish, let me tell you. I didn't <laughs> like it at all because um, when I was watching on a video and I watched Leon play it, I thought, oh, this is quite a fun little platform game. I love platform games. Cute graphics, uh, reasonable little ditties on the sound, but annoying after a while because they go on forever and ever. Yeah. Um, but the thing I couldn't fathom out is you hold a certain... I think it's the the fire button. You hold that down to make you go quickly. And as you're going yeah. quickly, you also jump higher. So you've got to use it a lot. You've got to hold that button down as you're moving around. But what I was tending to do is hold the button down to run, like in Mario Brothers, and then press the other button, which is jump, 
to fire. I wasn't letting go and pressing it to fire. And I couldn't get that around in my head to stop and fire when I should be letting go of the button to run. And I just yeah. couldn't get it right. And I kept, I kept getting killed in silly places, which I, in my head I shouldn't be getting killed. Mm. It's just that mechanic of, of holding one button down to run and the other button, instead of being shoot, it's jump. And I kept jumping when I should be shooting. And I think with my problem with this game is I was trying to whiz through the levels, watching other people play it better than I did. And they were just whizzing through because they know where everything is and where to jump, where not to jump, and where to hit things. And I was trying to do that, and I just could not do it. I kept landing on the same thing and the same point all the time. It was really, really annoying. And when you haven't got the skateboard, that little fart is so slippery and annoying. You sort of jump, and it'll keep <laughs> going a little bit. And games where mm. you've got that inertia, I just cannot get on with. It's very similar to Ice Climb in the Nintendo game. I cannot get yeah. on that game because he's sliding around like an idiot. And if that was me, I'd just go home or put salt on the road. Because <laughs> I don't want to be sliding around. Yeah. Salt but when, power up. But when you've got the skateboard in Wonder Boy, you can hold back and he does like a little sort of um, wheelie and he slows him down. And you can actually hold him there for a little while. And your controls are much more precise as you do it. And it, it plays. But as soon as you land on something, you get hit, you lose the skateboard and then you're knackered. And also mm. in this game, at a certain level, I think it's beyond level four... Relax, I didn't go that far, but Leon did. If you lose the axe, you're absolutely knackered. You've got no protection. You know, you need to hit things, especially when the blue guy, uh, the Ewok guys are running at you and all this sort of stuff. And it's just too difficult, and you just mm. die. I think you might as well just turn the game off when you get that far. But a lot of these experts are so good at it, they don't lose the, the, the axe. They just keep going and keep going and keep going. And for me, I was just, I just could not play it. And I got so angry doing the same wrong things all the time. And the thing with the buttons just messed me up. I'll tell you one thing before we get on to doing uh, sequels and different versions of the game on different machines. I had a quick go, because it was the next one down in the line of my main machine, of Wonder Boy Monsterland. And that's yes. actually better because your little man isn't as annoying to control. Um, and he's got a little sword and you can get little... Um, you can get armor and stuff and, and, and a shield to start to help you and so and he, he, you just move them around and jump and hit with the sword it's that simple there's no holding a button down and letting go to do things and it's just i couldn't get that around in my head i just could not do that so it, it ruined the game for me that did well i eventually it's like the controls a defender eventually it'll click if you play it enough yeah and it did with me and you, you see people play it. Cause I, I was fortunate enough to see a couple of really good players at Arcade Club because I've been playing this on a proper in a proper cab. Oh, nice! Uh, and they were getting seven hundred thousand, and, and how they played it, and you're just picking up from their yeah. their kind of gameplay, you know, how, how they do, and it's you do kind of get it, and it, I think it does instead of having three buttons, which it could have done, like speed, jump, and fire. Yes, I think I, so. I do. I do think it works better with two buttons. I, I, it it's just sort of clicked with me. Yeah, not with me. Yeah. That's why I hate it. Yeah. Never going to play it again. I'm going to bury it in the back garden. I hate the game. <laughs> so opinions on graphics gameplay? What do you think? The graphics are quite fun. They're very uh, very very Sega. Um, very colourful, cutesy little things. He's got a funny little yeah. thing with his legs going up and down like the the clappers. Uh, the baddie at the end wasn't scary at all. He just looked like an idiot. <laughs> it was a bit like a sort of uh, scaredy cat animal Robotnik. As soon as you knocked his head off, he'd just run away like Robotnik did. He kept coming back every now and again and being a pain in the backside. Yeah. Um, the controls, really, really bad. Hate slippery controls. Can't deal with it. Really, really mm. bugged me. 
Everything else I liked, though. The game was very, very samey, I thought. It was the same thing over and over again. You just sort of, same background, same... There's only about five different types of bad guys. Uh, yeah. They didn't even change the colour of the bad guys. You know how some games use the same sprites, they just change the colour, or they, they change a head over, or some trousers over, or something. None yeah. of that going on. It's sort of a bit dull to me. And I thought, when I watched the, the playthrough, I watched a really good video on YouTube, which we've linked to, I think, of a guy completing it. And it's yeah. just the same again and again and again. I mean, it must have, I think the video's over an hour long. I can't imagine playing that damn game for over an hour. It's just so dull. Same thing over and over again. And you've got to sort of be... It's almost like a memory game because things happen in the same place every single time. They don't change. So if you mm. know where a doll is, it's hidden, it's there. Or if you know when a boulder's going to come down the screen, you know it's there. And it's more of a memory game. And my memory cannot do eight times four parts of a level. It really can't. Not for that long. Oh, do you, do you know what I did um, last week, right? Because mm-hmm. I kept getting killed on the frogs. I kept jumping when I shouldn't have been jumping. I started writing down the levels and the approximate position through the level that a frog would appear. And, and then I played it so much that I, did not, I didn't need my list. But that list helped me for a start. You know what you're doing, don't you? Is That's not cheating. That's cheating. You're, you're fired. That's creative um, learning. No, you, yeah. you're cheating, you swine. So all these scores are null and void this time round, I think. Uh, no, no. I, I just, to be honest with you, I just didn't care that much. I mean, yeah, I, I was thing. not very well yeah. during the week, and I didn't have time to play. And I played it quite a bit the past couple of days. Uh, obviously, when Leon came around and helped me out with it, we played it a bit. But in the end, I got so frustrated with it. He, he sort of said to me about Dig Dug. He really likes it, but couldn't play it. So I went on Dig Dug and showed him how to play that instead. Yeah. But yeah, the, the music on it, very, very annoying music after a while. Mm. I mean, some, some tunes I can get in my head and don't mind. I mean, the Bubble Bubble theme tune goes on and on and on and on and on. But I don't mind it. Not at all. Mm. But this one just got on my Swede. It really did. <laughs> yeah. The, the music changes when you get to the end of each area, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. Yeah, and yeah. even though I didn't get this far, I actually watched the video. I fast-forwarded to the very end when you actually complete the game. And you kill the bad guy at the end. You lob loads of uh, axes at his heed and his heed falls off properly. And you get on a platform, you get the girl. That's it. Game over. Done. So oh, right. Nothing exciting. You think you'd get some explosions or a nice little story. In. No, nothing. Just a girl. Bye. Mm. Thanks for your 10 pence. Bye. So how would you improve the game apart from switching it off? I was going to say switch it off. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I did, I did sort of look at it critically as well. Um, the, the thing with the, the running and jumping with the one button, I'd change that button, like you said. Maybe have another button. Mm. Or maybe you have a joystick that you could sort of pull to the left or right a certain way and then if you pushed it a bit further like onto a rubber, a rubber barrier that's got an extra switch in it so it's hard to press you went faster or use the same mm. mechanic as Pac-Land uses because Pac-Land was actually originally on buttons and you had to tap the button to get Pac-Man moving quickly and if you just held it down he'd go slowly so that'd, yeah. be, that'd be a good yeah. mechanic I think You know, different sort of control method I think buttons left and right might be a bit easier than a joystick as well to be honest with you Oh, I don't know. Especially with the keyboard warriors out there who like using the keyboard for games. Yeah. Um, different music as well. Uh, different backgrounds. Uh, yeah. More characters. Um, and I think what they did with uh, all the different uh, Wonder Boy games, and there's millions of them, they did actually start doing different weapons and you know all this sort of stuff. And they they put RPG elements into it, which is not really my favourite thing, especially for an arcade game. But yeah, they sort of did that. And maybe maybe move the game around a bit, maybe go from right to left now and again, or maybe go up, up mm-hmm. and down scrolling as well, like upstairs and up um, you know, ropes and ladders and slides and all that sort of stuff as well. That'd be quite fun, I think, uh, moving yeah. around in different different directions. 
I'll make some better music for God's sake. <laughs> what I'd do, I think, I'd have possibly uh, instead of three lives, I'd have one life, and then the power bar. Yeah. If you hit a bad guy, it doesn't kill you; it depletes the power bar. Yes. So you can. So maybe one life, and you can keep. You can rely on that power bar and get through. Yeah, that'd um, be a good maybe, idea. Maybe. Yeah, maybe a Mario-style ground pound where you're stuck, you stomp on the bad guys instead on the heads. Do you know uh, what I maybe... noticed when I was playing tonight, just before we did this? I had a quick go of it, mm. and it was the, the first level where you go on the skateboard and you're jumping over the clouds, and you got them silly little rubber octopuses going up and down, octopies. Mm. I landed on one and it killed it. No, maybe it was just. Had... Did I imagine that? Was I dreaming? Or was I just too bored? This, it might have had the fairy. No, you, can't, you don't get the fairy and the skateboard at the same time, as far as I know. I'm sure it knocked it off its off its perch. You might have shot it. Yeah, with one of my uh, skateboard Axes. machine guns. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, so maybe like a ground pound. Maybe just with a skateboard where you can squash them with a skateboard. Yeah, that'd be and quite good. How about a flying power-up as well, where you can fly through levels for a certain amount of time? You, sir, are a cheat, sir. But it'd be quite difficult in some places. Why don't you just uh, have a, 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 an AK-47? You can gun down people with it. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah, shotgun like Sky Cursor. Anyway, tell yeah, me about the right. cabinet art, anyway. Absolutely brilliant. I loved it. I thought it was really good. I liked the side art. I thought it was incredible how they've uh, incorporated Wonder Boy into the side art. No, there wasn't any, was there? No, no it's just a kit. All. It was just a kit. Wasn't I it? wondered what the heck he was speaking about there. You <laughs> thought, thought I'd found something. <laughs> no, I thought you were on hallucinogenic love drugs and you just imagine it. <laughs> yeah, they, it was a kit. I think you got a, a nice um, marquee and you may have got a control panel, but it's, there's no dedicated cabinet. But I'm sure lots of people. This game is really loved by people. People love this game. I don't know why. It's not for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think people who are good at it like it. And they've actually done their own cabs up. But. It's a good franchise because you've got these cute characters, you've got the cute bad guys, very, very colourful, uh, and you know you can probably make a really nice cab out of it. Mm. But the thing that um, got a, a lot of following in it is its, its um, successes. I mean, the, the sequels yeah. to this game, there's fast, vast, far many of them, lots of type thing. Yeah, there was um, six main games in the wow. series. You've got your Wonder Boy, mm-hmm. and then two more arcade games, Wonder Boy and Monster Land, Wonder Boy 3, Monster Lair, yeah. 87 and 88. In 89, you had Sega Master System game, Wonder Boy 3, The Dragon's Trap. Uh-huh. Then you had Wonder Boy in Monster World, yeah. which was on the Mega Drive. It's confusing now. There's lots of these. And then you had Monster World 4 on the Mega Drive. Okay. And then the... the all the different names, like Wonder Boy Monsterland is also called Super Wonder Boy Monster World or Super Wonder Boy Monsterland. Okay, you're making this up now. Dragon's Trap is also called Dragon's Curse, Monster World 2, Adventure Island. Yeah. Wonder Boy in Monster World is also called Wonder Boy 5, Monster World 3 in yeah. Japan. And it's Wonder, Wonder 5, Monster Lair, World Power RPG, Monster Lair, Dragon's... Trap. I'm making this up now. It's, it gets like that, doesn't it? Yeah, in Brazil they uh, linked it with one of their popular um, comic book heroes, I think, and it was called Monica's Gang. Okay, so they just Monica's changed Gang. the sprites around, I suppose, for that and the music. Another game called Dynastic Hero in Japan. Oh, God. And but also, to, think... make, to make this sound even more complicated, you've got all these different titles that came out, mainly on the consoles, but they also had three different companies owned the IP for it. You've got Sega... West 
tone or West One and Hudson as well. And the one I remember from uh, being sort of a teenager and having my first Game Boy is Adventure Island. It was exactly the same game, just with a different character. I think we yeah. called Master Higgins on there rather than the Wonder Boy. But it was exactly the same game uh, with a different character. And I had that on the Game Boy. That's why I remember it more often than, than Wonder Boy. That's why there's all the names. There's three different companies own different parts of the IP. Yeah. So that's crazy, that they're all releasing stuff all over the place. Yeah. And do you know there is actually only last week or the week before uh-huh. uh, the original developer is involved in another Wonder Boy game, but because of all the copyrights, it's called Monster Boy and the Wizard of Booze. <laughs> okay. Honestly, that is the honest name. Monster Boy and the Wizard of Booze. And it's coming to PC and PS4 this year. Okay. And it's kind of the Wonder Boy style game. I, 2D, I, think I, I hope. Yeah. 2D. Oh, yeah, and there's a few um, yeah, RGP elements in it. Well, especially if they've uh, sorted out the, the inertia and the skiddy, slidey thing that he is. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. World record is a guy called Martin Bedard, 2005. 2.1 million points. Yeah. Wow. I'm sure, I'm sure the video I watched earlier was more than that. But the, the write-up in it was all in Spanish, so maybe he had cheats turned on to do it in MAME or something, I don't know. Right, go on then. What score did you get? Oh, are we going to do that? Oh, do I have to? Yeah. <laughs> you're going to laugh at me for this. I, I honestly just got so bored of it. Yeah. Excuses, excuses. Insert your own excuse here, listeners. Uh, 27,090. No way. In my really? face. Oh, I'll do, I'll do it for God. you. In my face. In your face, right. I'm going to sh- uh, Right, I'm posting now a picture... I don't know if it'll appear on Google Docs where you are of my eye score. Oh, I just saw 764,000 then. I thought it was yours. 356,550? Yeah. Oh, my jeepers, creepers, lord, lordy, cripes on a brick. That's a yeah. good score. I uh, know. It's pretty good, isn't it? The 764 is uh, a guy called Paz who's oh, just amazing God. at it. Does his head flip back and sweets fly out of him? No, oh, that's Pez. Pez. That's Pez. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, so th- 356, 550. I was well pleased with that. You, sir, have completely thrashed me. You're in s- your face, Victor Marlon, right in the middle of your face. What you did is you had your little yes. yellow, yellow-haired boy running away, his clappers, and you smashed an egg and I was in it. Mm. And you <laughs> broke me. That has completely broke me, mate. You've done really that well photo, uh, James RGP took that photo. He said, if I take this photo as proof to Vic, can we please leave? Because I was giving him a lift home. <laughs> and yeah. they're trying to, trying to shut our cake club and I won't go. What, what level yeah. did you get to that? About level four? Like? No, three. It's either three, three or three, two. Oh you must have the patience of a saint to play this stupid game for so long just to beat me, you sad man. Uh, no, I was really enjoying it last night. I was playing this and Vimana all night. So really I tried to enjoy- turn around my rubbish score then. Yeah, it's very good, that. Yeah. I just could not play it, mate. Honestly, because mm. could not play it. I'm going to just forget it even happened. I might even delete this podcast right now. <laughs> you've got to have the desire, haven't you? You've got to have the... The desire. Like, Dig Dug, I just couldn't get that feeling that I wanted to play it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I'll forget about it all now, and let's do the art of side art. <laughs> Right, this one. It's one of yours, this is, and I like this, it. Yeah, this one is called Lazarian, or Lazarian, by Midway. It's actually by Zakaria, the Italian company, and it was licensed to Midway, not the other way around for a change. Yeah, and it's their game. It's called Space Battle. Ah, okay. Well, mm. this game, let me try and describe a little bit. We've got pictures on the show notes, so please look at those. Um, sorry, sorry. Laser Battle, sorry. Laser Battle. 
mm. almost the same game. It's a very sort of um, upright square type cab, little slanty bit on the front. Uh, there's kick plate art, which we really like. It's a big, yes. big square green monster with big uh, sort of robot extendy arms grabbing the spaceship. And on the side, you've got half-height side art at the top with Lazarian and a really cool sort of uh, typeface. I really like that with a big green monster. And he's like a sort of, um, almost like a 50s monster, anyway, with his big, long, extendy, pincy arms. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. And you've got uh, a joystick on the game, an eight-way joystick, and a four-way uh, shooting mechanism. You've got, like, four buttons uh, arranged in a sort of triangle. And you shoot up, down, left, right. And I had a quick go of the game. The game is nothing. It's just dull as dishwater. It's rubbish. It's a bit strange. It's it is really strange, dated so. as well. But yeah. You've got this this control panel which sort of slants at the front and it goes up past the screen. It's part of the bezel at the same time. And there's also artwork in the back of it, like Death Race. You've yeah. got some artwork sort of in the back. As you look into the screen, the screen's downwards and the artwork's at the back. And there's a really nice um, marquee as well. And it's all really, really colourful. The cabinet obviously it was a ruse for you to come and play this dull game. And it would have worked with me because it looks a really nice cabinet. I really like that. And there's some pictures which we've posted uh, from the Zakaria page, actually. And, yeah, really nice looking game. Just shame about the game, really. Oh, the description from the Clov Museum, which we get a lot of our information from and all the pictures. Uh, it says, once all the meteors have been destroyed, you must traverse the Tunnel of Fear. Fear. Destroying various enemies as you try to dock with another. Mm. Yeah, really, really underwhelming game. It's just dull. I, I said to uh, like Dave Otto loves his Zachariah games, and I said this artwork is actually better than the Zach artwork, isn't it, Dave? Uh, wrong thing to say because he's, he's did really, he freak really, out? yeah. He sent me a very offensive internet <laughs> meme. Very, very offensive. I can't even say it. So I said, well, what can you mention a good game for us then? And he says, Space Duel by Atari. He loves the artwork on that. He's, he loves his 70s and 80s sci-fi artwork. So as a kind of an apology to him, um, that is a good one to have a look at as well. If I'll we can link what, to it. If you looked mm-hmm. on the show notes, you silly man, you'd see I put under there in big mm-hmm. letters, keep this one under our hats, we'll use it another week. So oh. we'll actually do that for Dave next time. Because that is a lovely cabinet, okay? Ah, uh, yeah. So I didn't read that in big capital letters, sorry. No, you didn't, did you? You fool. It fool. Anyway, another one. Just one more. Cause we've done a few here. And we'll definitely do that next time. But a special mention, I'm going on about it again, Sky Cursor, the brilliant game that's coming up. They actually made, the guys there actually made a cabinet from an old Dynamo cab, which was a very, very generic cab in the US. Usually came with Street Fighter in it. Um, it was their sort of version of our... Electrical and Goliaths, which were everywhere, and our bass cabs that were ever in the UK. Generic chip shop cabs, we call them. They've yeah. got this normal cab, and they've put a purple liquor paint on it, which is really cool. I like purple cabs anyway, with white T-molding, and it's got their um, Die a Hero logo on the side of it with a griffin in a, in a sort of shield, really cool-looking sort of uh, military-type thing. Uh, and it's got Sky Curse in white on, on the side. So it almost looks like it's been stenciled on the side of it. And the control panel, is a, it's a very specific shape, the dynamo. It's sort of, sort of an angled metal panel. And the one they've got in the picture we put on the show notes has actually got two, but, two sticks and six buttons per player. The actual game is going to be a single-player game with three buttons. It's just what the cab had in it at the time. But they've done yeah. a really nice picture of it. And if you look on the, the developer's blog I've linked to on our, show, on our page, you can actually see Chris roller in the side of it. They did it all themselves as well, yeah. so they're throwing their heart and soul into this game, and the, the, the marquee is brilliant, if you love Splatterhouse 
and all that sort of stuff. You love it because there's eyeballs on those, there's skulls with big ro- rockets in his head, and there's this big shield behind it, and it's a really nice looking cabinet. So that's a special sort of mention, that one. And we've also got another one I put on there. We won't go on about that now, but one I found while looking for other cabinets, a really rare-looking machine. You see that? I do see that. We'll do that another time. We'll keep the listeners in uh, suspense about that one. Yes, I won't mention that one. Yeah. Yeah, well done. (laughs) Okay, releases from this month in history, February. Go for it. Right, apologies from last time, because I mentioned, I said it's a Taito triple hitter, this, listeners. Yeah, and it wasn't, wasn't, was it? it? X's or Savage B's was obviously Capcom. I don't know what I was thinking. I yep. got a bit carried away with Taito there. That's going to happen so to you, don't you? I've been, yeah, I'm going to be taken out of the back and nerfed, nerfed up the nostril. I'll tell you what, my back garden is just literally lined up with nerfed bodies. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's foam everywhere. It's terrible. Right, so February 2000, which is scarily 15 years ago. Oh, God, yeah. San Francisco Rush 2049 Tournament Edition, which is a, a manic driving game. I like I liked these driving games. I don't think I played Tournament Edition, but I did play Rush 2049. Okay. Nice um, looking very, cabinet. It's got really nice side art on it, hasn't it? Yeah, very skiddy. A few sort of secrets to be found, which is mm. strange in a driving game. Skiddy? Like, Little sort of drifty and little shortcuts you can go, and I really like that game. Drifty sounds better. Drifty, yeah. Uh, Twenty-five years ago, February ninety. Clax, that oh. awesome puzzle game. Love a bit of Clax. We may have to do that one day. I'm good at that. Clax wave. Yeah, I uh, really like the Amiga. I think it was Amiga, to be honest. I'm not sure what I played it on, but I got well into it. That game is very 16-bit. Very Mm. 16-bit. Going back 35 years, February 80, Navarone by Namco, which is a black-and-white thing. Okay. You've got to shoot shoot a guy in the middle of the screen. It's It's like a nautical theme. I hate being hit in the middle of the screen. It's really painful. Yeah, it's not. It's not good. But you can also the the ship can go at the sides of the screen, which I never knew about until I watched the YouTube video. So I could never play it. So I might have a go at playing it now because I didn't yeah, know you could go up to the sides of the screen and shoot. There's a little skull guy you have to shoot in the middle, and submarines and stuff. It's black and white as well, I think. Oh, I like black and white games. And I thought I'd go back to the EM days just to have a look what was going Way on. Way back. Yeah, February 1970. Okay. I was three months old. And already I was down the arcades. <laughs> Camelot, an electromechanical pinball by Bally. So that was that that long ago. And if you look on the what's it called? IPBD Internet Pinball Database. Yes, heard of that. It's got loads of pictures there. That is such a good resource for pinballs that. Yeah, Camelot they did lots of really interesting themes on pinball. I think a Camelot would work really well. Mm. Okay. So let's get on to near to the end of our podcast now uh next show's game and who picked it we had a bit of a debate about this one didn't we it's yes. a listener choice this time because that uh, wonder boy was yours and dig dug was mine before so as yeah. usual we're doing a user one now uh we've got a list here of of games i've um kept together that people have given us over time and listeners please keep sending us your games the more older and obscure the game and more fun the game and people haven't heard of it the better for us we do like the odd ones um, and you've highlighted a few here that you like, obviously for obvious reasons, because there's guns in it. 
Because <laughs> you can shoot stuff, yeah. Astro Blaster, <laughs> Dodon Patchy, yeah. no. Gyrus, yeah. no, not good at that. Uh, uh, looping, you hate that, apparently. Red letters yeah, next to it. Yeah, do not like looping. Okay. Yeah. Lunar Rescue, yeah, two, you're too good at that, forget that. Uh, Space Dungeon, which is a two-stick game. We do need to get some hardware together with two sticks, don't we? And maybe a, contro- a trackball and uh, a spinner. Because we're missing out on games like that. I think we need to do that before long. I'll, I'll make us one up, shall I? Yeah, well, if you've got a 360 controller with the two sticks, it does work well. Robotron works fairly well. Absolutely, yeah, but no mm. spinners or trackballs. And there's no. a few games that we've never done like that, so we will have to do something about that. Yeah. We also put down Time Pilot and Volgus, which is what we thought we'd do, one of those. Yes, uh, Volgus. Time, Time Pilot's really well known, so we've both chosen one of the user listeners, Volgus. That's by Tronads has tro- chosen that one, oh, okay. Volgus. It's a good it's game. A- it's a game I used to play a long time ago, and I loved it. I really did enjoy it. And it's like coming back to, to meet an old friend playing it this afternoon. It really it's, is. It's almost like a precursor to 1942, and that's your favourite game. Yeah, it is really. But, yeah. dear listeners, we've got something extra for you next time. We're also going yes. to choose another game, and we've been uh, challenged by these evil Zaxters. H- harassed, I think harassed is the word. Harassed from, from yeah. uk. They've threatened us that we can't beat them at a game called Dodgem, which is an old Zack game. It looks very like head-on to me. Yes. I haven't played it yet, but we're going to have part of a Zack off. So next time, we will be talking about this as well. So we will feature this, because it's quite a simple game, but the cabinet's awesome. Uh, we will talk about Vulgus and Dodgem next time. Yes. And just before we go, keep listening. And we're going to have uh, the interview with the Sky Cursor team, which I'm really excited about. I really enjoy talking to these guys. I hope you'll in- enjoy the interview. One last thing I've done as well. I'm going to go on and on and on and on about Sky Cursor until it's released. Um, <laughs> I've removed the game Iron Horse from my Fantasy Cabinet arcade list, which we put on the bottom of our webpage. And I'll yes. um, replace it with Sky Cursor in that purple cab we just spoke about. Because it's unique at the moment. No one's got it. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Uh, so, yeah, uh, goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from him. And please enjoy the Sky Cursor team interview. Yes, thanks for listening, and we'll hear from you. No, we won't. We'll see you. No, we won't. Uh, hear from us next time. Slick man, slick. Thanks, guys. Goodbye. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Uh, an interview today with uh, Chris and Phil, two of the members out of the three, for the new Jammer arcade game project, Sky Cursor. Hello, guys. Hello. Hi, Victor. So there, uh, Chris, first of all, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you and, and uh, Phil and Brad are doing at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'll start by saying just really quickly that this is the first recorded uh thing that we've done in terms of uh, an interview, I guess, if you will, about the project. So mm-hmm. we're very genuinely excited, and, and we may ramble a little bit, but um, I, I want to try to keep on track and answer your questions as best I can. No problem. Rambling so, is good. We like rambling. Yeah. <laughs> so with the Sky Cursor project, um, really at the, at the highest level, what, what Phil and Brad and I are trying to do is create an arcade game exclusively for arcade machines 
that feels authentic to the era of games that we grew up on and are sort of closest to our hearts, which is sort of that late 80s to early mid 90s um, arcade uh, shooter. So that's really at the highest level. We want to create something that feels as though it was a game that was just undiscovered, you know, not not a game that was made in, in 2015, but a game that actually came out in that era and was just undiscovered until recently. That that if you know people felt that way when they were playing it, that would be the ultimate goal for us. Yeah, I, I, just thinking about that when you said that uh, a minute ago, I, th- I think it would, you missed a trick there. You should have just yeah. put it out and said, "Oh, we found this new this new PCB. What is it?" And so well, name dumped it yet, and and sort of you know uh, lied a bit and just made out that it was an old uh, game. I know. We, we we talked about doing a promo video like that where it's like, oh, you know, Phil and Chris here, we're digging through this arcade, you know, this uh, operator's warehouse, <laughs> and yeah. we found a board we don't recognize, and you know, do something like that. But uh, did you hear about Hammer Away? Which is a, a Sega shooter actually that just was discovered by some guys, I believe in. Yes, South I did. America. I yeah. did, yeah, yeah. That really was quite good, that one. Every now and again, yeah. one of those do come up every now and again. There's been a few. And I remember when um, Fix It Felix came out, and it, it, when they promoted it in the UK, I'd already seen it in America when I was on holiday. And when it came into the UK, they brought one of the cabs in. You know, they did a Nintendo cab, you know, an old Donkey yeah. Kong to make it look old. And I was playing it, and for yeah. two seconds, I thought, is this an old game? Because it had a yeah. proper monitor, and it was really well done. I thought, is this? And I went, no, no. And I was trying to look in the back of the machine and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that's exactly kind of you know different era, but that's really what we want to do with with Sky Cursor. But you know, touching on that sort of that sort of the mystique of arcade games in terms of all these random Japanese companies that you know are members of all different types of companies and things jump around and mm. and games get made and not necessarily distributed. I think that's just one of the biggest appeals and. I kind of want to keep this layer of mystery around Sky Cursor as well. Like we talked about a lot of with the scoring and things like that, having um, you know symbols and and all kinds of different uh, bonuses and things where it's like, what the hell was that? But you know, it's 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 something like you have to dig into that. And we're doing the same thing with the backstory as well. We have a, a really deep backstory that you will have to seek out to to find within oh, the excellent. game, and it's not going to be told to you. Um, when Sean and myself do the podcast, then we, we hit upon a game and we find secrets in the game. That really appeals to us. You know, it's not just a simple shoot this, hit that, collect this, jump over that. It's like, oh, if you do this and this, you'll get a bonus. Or if you do this, we'll go in this secret room here. And it's like, oh, wow, we've just discovered some new things and we can do a lot of research to it. That's exactly what we like. Most of the secrets right now are bugs. <laughs> they will so, be for a while. They're secret bugs. But no, I, I think uh, one of the games that's on our sort of, like, I guess, top five influences, which is not an arcade game, interesting, interestingly enough, is Doom. Ah, yes. um, that was a huge influence on me when I was growing up and, uh, and playing games. And, and so that had obviously a ton of secrets. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I've got my little uh, son, Guy, here. He's four months old. He's so helping. He's, he's got an opinion about Doom. He really oh, absolutely. <laughs> but, but, you know, there were so many secrets, so many things to discover in that game, and, and that's something we're really we're going to try to touch on as much as we can. Yeah. That is a really I, – I love Doom myself, so that's, that's excellent. That's another point tick for me. So can you tell us a little bit about your, your background in uh, what you're going to be doing in the game, your, the art and the music and all that sort of stuff, and then we'll go on to ask Phil the same question. 
Yeah, sure. Um, actually, Phil will go first. Chris just stepped out with a uh, small child okay. to uh, <laughs> make sure he stays cool. Um, so in terms of, let's see, in terms of background, so you mean like what Phil brings to the actual development of the game? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, um, it's the way I tell the, the origin story of it is, is that um, – in Christmas 2013, I receive a Raspberry Pi from my mother, mm-hmm. and um, she's like, "Hey, you know, you're into tinkering around on stuff. Um, here, here's this thing." So I get it. I don't know what quite what to do with it, and this right on the desktop of the Raspberry Pi is just like this really crude um, programming environment. So I sit down and I start making a game, a horizontal shooter. And, um, after a little bit, you know, I show it to Chris and Chris has worked on, he's helped people with games in the past. Mm -hmm. And the way I, you know, in my mind, the way I tell it is Chris sees this work that I've done and he's like, Hey man, um, you know, let's, let's make a game. Let's do, let's really do it. And I'll do the artwork and you can do the programming. And so at first I started doing the programming and, um, but Probably this isn't really normally what happens in video game development. The artwork was getting produced faster than the coding could get done. Okay. And um, Chris was just like, he just put his head, put his whole body, his whole mind into it. And this is before his son was born. So he knew his son was coming. And he was like, I got to get this thing going quick before this this kid pops out. Yeah. So um, just pours his whole, all of his free time into making this artwork and I couldn't program it fast enough because, um, I'm not a programmer by trade. Wow. And so, um, we, we, we work, we, at the time we worked with a guy that was just like a kind of a crazy person when it comes to, to programming and his name's Brad and, um, Brad just took it and immediately, um, gave Chris more work to do. Like Brad was just like right on it. I think within like two weeks, we had progressed just by an insane amount. Wow! And cool. so you ask me, well, Phil, what do you do now? Well, like my main thing is, is that um, I'm basically in charge of all the hardware. And so um, the whole vision around making sure Sky Cursor um, stays true to the arcade and works on, you know, is JAMA compatible and has like nice monitors and um, uh, is going to actually be able to scale at some point to be able to, to actually sell the boards to arcade operators and arcade collectors. That's kind of what I'm doing. And then um, Chris and I lead up the whole conceptualization of um, what the the levels are going to look like, how the, the actual enemy scripting is going to work, um, and, yeah, also handle the about half of the marketing. Chris does, um, and by marketing, it's really kind of pathetic. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like I run the Twitter account and I run the um, – the email email distribution list, but for sure, Chris and Brad are the main um, like getting the game done type of guys. Yeah, that's brilliant. So it's all started on on a Raspberry Pi. That's that's amazing. I mean, I had one of those, and all I did was control the TV with it. <laughs> then you're making a, a Jammer arcade game on it. That's amazing. Yeah, it was. Chris just got back here. Um, mm-hmm. We're talking about rolls. We're Is talking right? about rolls. Yeah, we we started to skip into the Raspberry Pi stuff. So. Um, um, I guess you can talk through that a bit, just your role, your early role of just coming on when it was still on the Raspberry Pi. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think Phil touched a little bit. I could sort of over here. 
saying about how you know he started to make this game on his own mm-hmm. and he was doing all of his own you know kind of programmer graphics for it and I, I can't tell you enough it's it's always been a dream of mine since I was a little kid to make a game I, I remember when I would play with my brothers we wouldn't play sports and stuff we would pretend like we were in a video game that we were creating at the same time so it's always been something that's just been super near and dear to me and it's it's something I've wanted to do so when I saw Phil actually figuring out um, some basic programming stuff I was just like let's do it you know let's figure this out let's make an arcade game because you know that's what we love and, and it seems tangible it seems like something we could actually get done so I just dove in and, and I've again I've always been obsessed with making my own games so I would make sprites and things even when I was like 10 years old I had a program called Neo Paint and I would do I would do um, edits to Doom sprites and things like that. And I was just always kind of thinking in that sort of sprite style. So I started making sprites for the game um, and started getting really, really into spriting again. It had been probably 10 plus years since I had sat down and done sprites. Uh, real quick, um, is is the software Mugen a big deal in the UK? You guys remember that? It's a, uh, a fighting game engine? Yes. It was on the Dreamcast. Yeah, I think there was a was, there was a Mugen version yeah, for, for it PC too, as for well. PC and, um, I remember seeing the Dreamcast version. I think, yeah, yeah. I still remember. Uh, it must have been ten years ago, but Chris made some sprites that we were like we had dreams of putting into Mugen. Yeah, and making a fighting game <laughs> on our own, but you know, fighting game that's a pretty ambitious first. <laughs> yeah, I bet. first stab at it, but but yeah. So I, I, I you know, I've always been into sprite artwork and. Um, sort of one of the things that I told myself really early on is the hard way is always the right way. Um, I wanted to emulate that really meticulous 90s, early 90s aesthetic of like Irem, some of the Capcom, like CPS2 and CPS3 era Mm -hmm. artwork that there's really no way to do it other than to just sit down and spend the time and do it. And I noticed a lot of games that were coming out in sort of that retro style on Steam and things like that. They had beautiful sprite artwork, but then they would also use like scaling and lighting effects and things like that from modern game engines. And to me, that's like, it kind of kills the aesthetic in a way. You know, I I wanted to make sure that everything um, in Sky Cursor was completely authentic. And if you see an effect or if you see something happen on the screen, it's been hand pixeled, you know, dot by dot, um, frame by frame, oh. and and that was something that, like, really early on, I was like, the hard way is is going to be the right way, you know, no shortcuts, no computer effects, um, and and just go all in. So, um, I, I kind of went a little crazy and started doing sprite artwork, you know, probably four to five hours a night, um, whenever wow. I had free time. And, uh, you know, working a full, pretty serious full-time job and, and getting prepped for a little kid, uh, a baby, was it was pretty pretty hectic. But um, spun up a lot of artwork, and Phil was at a point to where I think he was getting overwhelmed at the number of things. Because he was just, where I had a background in doing sprites, he was just jumping into programming. And so we reached out to a close friend that we had that we had met through work who's just a beast when it comes to programming. And when he jumped in, it became real because we had Phil who sort of could help reel in my craziness and like, you know, keep things realistic in terms of what we could get done and keep it kind of, I guess, focused. 
we had me with just like going crazy, doing all the sprite artwork and getting really, really obsessed with the creative aspect. And then we had Brad who just, okay. So the way we, we share the game is we actually have it in Google drive. And so a lot of times I would create assets for the game. And that night he would have a build of the game in Google drive. Wow. That he's we your man. Play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he works very quickly. He works very creatively. He, he can kind of, He's really starting to speak our language in terms of you know the, the the things we're looking for, and so it's very it's coming it's becoming very very natural. And um, I'll tell a funny story about Brad and and one of the reasons why I think he's just so incredible that we just had our first big uh, release event oh, this of is the amazing. game. Yeah, that's what's <laughs> incredible. And we had the game at a brewery, the full mm-hmm. dedicated arcade cabinet. Yeah. Um, Right around, there's over 300 people showed up. We were just completely overwhelmed. The brewery was like, I mean, the, the girls behind the bar were like, wow. Like, you could tell they were panicked. They weren't expecting that many people to come. Cool. We were thrilled. At one point, there was a line of about 100 people waiting to play the game and, like, wrapped through the bar. It was one of the most incredible experiences of my night, of my life. But Brad was watching and paying attention to when people were playing, and a bug came up. Oh, and it was it was a pretty bad one. Um, sprites were replicating on the screen, and things were slowing down to a rate to where um, once you died, it cleared up. But it was definitely it was making things less fun than they could be. And oh. I think it happened once over the course of like the four hours that people played. When Brad noticed the bug, he grabbed his laptop, sat down, fixed it on the spot in a crowded bar with you know people yelling, screaming, and high scores. <laughs> reinstalled the the newest version of the game and we reloaded it up and the bug didn't happen again all night so that i I think if that doesn't speak to kind of his dedication to the project and like ability to be responsive to you know all the crazy things that come at you when you're trying to make a game i I don't know what does but it was kind of one of those things where yes yeah (laughs) i don't know if anyone else in the room appreciated it as much as we did but it was just like that is incredible is this guy human? He's not a, a mech. He's not a bot. He's a human guy. <laughs> no, yeah, and that's a great he's part surprisingly about it. Completely very human. human. Yeah, very wow. human. Like he can he can have like great conversations about the creative stuff. He's actually brought ideas to the table that we've implemented into the game. He 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 is a big gamer, obviously, and he and so you know a lot of times he'll get the feel. Another crazy thing is, for example, we we did we added the shotgun. That's the most recent weapon that we added. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things about Sky Cursor is that when you go up and down, this isn't unique to shoot 'em ups or anything, but um, the way that our weapons transition works is, is a little unique. When you go up and down and you're kind of dancing around in the Sky Cursor, the angle of the plane shifts and changes, you know, kind of to give you the sense of the 3D depth of the plane. Yeah. But when you transition weapons, a little hatch opens up at the bottom of the plane and it sucks the one weapon you're using in and it drops the new weapon out. And it's probably maybe an eight-frame animation. That's awesome. I like that. But it has to happen in every position. So there's, I think, six positions the Sky Cursor can be in at any given time. And those those positions transition as you're dancing around. And so then all of a sudden, it's not an eight-frame animation. It's an eight-frame animation multiplied by six – Mm-hmm. multiplied all by all the different, you know, as things are moving back and forth, the way it, it transitions between those frames. So to just get the files right and in, in the right order in terms of the sprites, it, even just once they were already all drawn, even that was like an eight-hour process. 
But the reason why I'm telling this story is that Brad spent a whole day. He called us and he said, I'm just going to think about how I'm going to make this work. I'm not going to touch the computer. I'm just going to think. And he told me he was at dinner. He was thinking about it. He was, you know, he has a little baby as well. He was, and he was just, mine was consumed with how he was going to make the shotgun work. Oh my God. So this guy is. Yeah. It it popped for him and he sat down. He didn't boot the game up once. He worked for eight hours straight. He told me he didn't boot the game up once. And when he booted the game up for the first time, one of the things in programming is, I don't know if you've ever seen someone do it. They constantly jump back and forth between seeing if it works and then programming. Yeah, testing the environments. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, in the environment. And he did none of that. It's just the way he works. He worked for like eight hours straight, loaded up the game, and he said the shotgun was like 95% of the way what, what you experience in the game today. Wow. So he, he, I mean, I can't say enough positive things about that guy, but we You're just feel super lucky to have him on the team. And, and it gives me the confidence that we can be very ambitious with the things that we want to put and implement into the game. And he's going to be able to make it a reality because of that incredible talent he has. Yeah. It must be really good to have an idea in your mind or even an idea on a screen and then say, Hey Brad, can you make this happen? And he goes, yeah, yeah all right. And then a few hours later, there it is. It's on screen. Wow. It, it really is. Programming, I, I think it's it's sad how you know some people treat it as a commodity because it, to me, it, it is the closest thing to magic. It, I mean, it is, oh, it is like yeah. it is you know alchemy as far as I'm concerned. I, making something out of nothing is it's beautiful. I don't know how else to describe it. It's just the mm. most incredible thing. And and having a close friend like that, someone you can pick up the phone and have a conversation with in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. It's just amazing. Yeah. There's some guys, um, I, I'm on the UK VAC forum, and there's some guys on there now have been recently messing around hacking some um, arcade hardware. They've been using the Taito L hardware, L system hardware, which games like Puznik are on and things like that. And they've basically been just messing around and like changing a few things and doing a few demos. And it's blown my mind. It's like, wow, you guys, before long, you'll be making your own games and putting them on, you know, re-blowing the EPROMs and putting them <laughs> on the hardware. Yeah. And it's, it's just going to be brilliant. It's so oh, it's, clever. It just blows my mind how these guys can do it. It just blows my mind. I have a, I have a feeling, and, and you know, you know, things kind of happen in waves with music and everything like that. I have a feeling there will be a resurgence. Oh, I hope so. Of arcade, oh. because even even some of the things that are happening, I'm a big. I frequent the Neo Geo forums. That's one of the forums that I sort of live mm-hmm. on. Yeah, yeah. And there's guys on there. Um, I think Darksoft. They've been able to crack. Um, CPS3, which the Capcom CPS3 engine had a suicide battery that no one could yeah. figure out. It was attached to the cart. I owned uh, a couple CPS3 games, and it was it was terrifying because they were some of my favorite games, but at any moment you knew they could die. That's the only reason now, why I never bought Street Fighter 3 Third Strike. It's my favorite Street yeah, Fighter. It's, it's the, the only best. reason. Yeah, you're speaking my language. Third Strike is my heart and soul. Like, I absolutely love that. Yeah, I love the music, the, the graphics, everything on that game. Oh, God, Brilliant. yeah. Gameplay. But, but anyhow... Um, They've figured that out. They've also figured out how to um, take a CPS3 board and flash the ROMs in a way that you can have all the CPS, excuse me, CPS2 games on one board. Ooh. It's just incredible how these guys figure this stuff out. And yeah, that amazing. assembly side of things, like where you're actually having to program directly for that specific piece of hardware, yeah. that stuff is crazy. Like it, that's even another layer into you know Dante's Inferno. Well, they've managed to to. Um, backwards engineer this stuff from from nothing no schematics no inside information they've just pieced it together and then they can do things like put multiple games on there 
Mm. And I know, I know a guy in the UK who did it with Galaxian hardware, which is really old stuff. And he's put like about 18 games on one board that plays all on Galaxian hardware and made his own menu system. And he's that's, just like, well, how the hell did you do that? Yeah, that's But it's incredible. brilliant. It's really it good. Is. It really is. And, and it's like, I, I, I just, I go for that kind of niche obsessive, like, I'm going to figure this out. Mm. Probably 10 people on planet Earth are going to care, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, <laughs> yeah. I didn't like, I love that. That is my favorite type of creativity. I love seeing that stuff. So cool. yeah, I'm always seeking out that kind of like, you know, obscure, you know, what, what what's happening out there that no one else is doing. And before I get on to, we'll talk about Sky Cursor and the game mechanics and what kind of game it is and stuff. Just going to ask both of you, um, you're obviously, you love the arcades. Did you frequent arcades as your youth? Which ones of you have got um, arcade cabs? Have you built your own cabs? You know, what sort of that kind of uh, collecting? Do you collect some of the cabs like we do over here as well? Yeah, so I can I can jump in. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Chris. Um so I'll, I'll start by telling a story. Mm-hmm. Um, Street Fighter Three Third Strike. So I grew up in the arcade. My my first memory of, of playing arcade games is Karate Champ, the dual joystick. Uh, oh yes, yeah, one on one fighter. Game. Great game. My dad had to pick me up and hold me up to the cabinet. I was too short to even reach the joysticks. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have a home console at, at that point, but my dad comes from an artistic background, and and so I always saw him drawing and things like that, and. And I was, even as a really little kid, I was probably maybe five years old when this happened, I was drawing and stuff already. And I remember seeing the characters on Karate Champ, and, and they're fairly well rendered for the era. You know, they're yeah. clearly articulated karate guys. And just being like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I, I still remember that. You know, it's one of like my most vivid memories from that age. And my dad was holding me up, and I was just going completely crazy on these two joysticks. Just obviously didn't know what I was doing, but I was just so thrilled by the idea that I was controlling what was happening on screen. Yeah. And then sort of fast forward a little bit, um, I remember Double Dragon being sort of the extension of that, where it was starting to be in that you know 16-bit. Uh, the guys looked had a really cool style to them. They were so like 80s and cool looking, and. I remember being sat up on a stool to play Double Dragon and having this weird experience because I was having the most fun I'd ever had playing Double Dragon. But at the same time, I was balanced on a stool that I was small enough. If I fell off the stool, I'd probably break my head. Right? <laughs> so I was having fun but being scared at the same time. Yeah. And that's where really that – that so probably that right around the time that Double Dragon came out, that was when things really started to come together to me because I was old enough to kind of get it and start playing – and um, so that was really sort of when I started to really fall in love with arcades. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there was a there was actually a miniature golf place um, fairly close to my house called Putt-Putt. And they were really great about getting all the new games right when they came out. So cool. when I started to frequent them every week, you know, Final Fight would come out. And then there was a game called Beast Busters by SNK that was a, a railgun shooter. It's probably one of the biggest influences on Sky Cursor. I remember yeah, I, I have vivid memories that, yeah. of that game, vivid memories of that game, but then Street Fighter 2 hit, and everything just changed for me. It was like, it, if I was crazy about arcades before, I was absolutely obsessed. I remember the day we pulled up to the putt-putt, and it was the first Saturday that Street Fighter, come to find out, um, my dad had talked to the owners of the place. There was a line going outside of the putt-putt. And it was a long, long line that stretched out. And I thought they were having some kind of event or 
they were uh, doing some kind of giveaway or something like that. Mm-hmm. Come walking in, and, and this pup pup when they would get a popular game, they would get multiple copies of that game. So they had yeah. four Street Fighter Two machines in a row, and the line was queued up in a way that there was one core line, and it would diverge into all those Street Fighter machines. And when I went and saw, you know, the kids playing it. I was just obviously just completely blown away. Nothing had come anywhere close visually um, to Street Fighter 2, in my opinion, until it came out. So I went to the back of the line, waited in line, probably took a good 45 minutes to get my chance to play. By the time I got up there, I was so intimidated. Everyone there was older than me. (laughs) The game was so, like, ominous in terms of just, like, it's going to pit you against another guy. That was, like, the first, like, really one-on-one game I, I had really gotten into. I was so intimidated by it that I just jumped away from the machine and got back at the end of the line again. <laughs> <laughs> but but all that is to say is that so that was kind of just to give you a little background on the era of games that that like really had the biggest influence on me. Mm-hmm. Street Fighter Three Third Strike is my favorite Street Fighter. So um, probably I don't know, maybe twelve years ago, maybe more when Street Fighter 3 was still circulating as a game that was making money for operators, I convinced my mom to buy me the Third Strike board set. Wow. And we had to order it from a vendor. It was crazy expensive at the time. I bet, it was close, yeah. close to $1,000, maybe more. Oof. And I had, no, I had no machine to play this game on. <laughs> I just convinced my mom, yeah, oh yeah, mom, you just like, you know, like, and I was living in an apartment at the time. It was way too old to be asking my mom to buy something for me. <laughs> But but anyhow, um, and I think I chipped in some from the from the job I had at the time. So she buys me this board, and I open it up, and it was like the holy grail, you know. And seeing the hardware for the first time, this was the first time I'd ever held like a piece of arcade hardware in my in my life. Chun Li on that CD. Chun Li, Chun Li on the CD ROM. Wow. You know the cartridge. It was like oh my god, you know. And and so I I slid it underneath my bed. And it literally sat there for probably six months while. Oh, that'd be Phil, painful. Friend, yeah, no, it was so painful. It was excruciating. Phil, um, myself, and our friend David, um, we started to build a Street Fighter machine. We had no idea what we were doing, okay? We had literally no experience. Um, we had bought an empty cabinet from a guy, totally ripped us off an operator. I think he sold us an empty uh, midway cabinet for like $500. Okay? <laughs> uh, everyone gets stung at the start. Everyone we didn't gets know. Stung. We didn't know. We, we really didn't know. And then I saved again and I bought a new old stock uh, monitor um, and it was a CRT monitor. It was actually a gorgeous monitor. Um, and we just went at it. And we were working in my dad's uh, garage. And we would we would meet like you know probably every weekend and spend all weekend working on this thing just like a couple of apes going at it. We had no idea how to do the wiring. No. <laughs> the first time it turned on though was it's one of the biggest. Yeah. just insane. Yeah, I bet we were, were going crazy. I mean, like we were literally screaming. There was no sound because we hadn't hooked the sound up yet, and <laughs> but it didn't matter because we were screaming so loud. So we got the game working and took it back to my apartment and the obsession with collecting arcade games really started to take off for me. Started to collect CPS2 boards, started to collect JAMA boards, actually ended up buying, I was in a one-bedroom apartment, ended up getting a two-bedroom apartment just to fit more cabinets in it. (laughs) We've all been there. And this was still probably nearly 10 years ago. 
um, started to collect candy cabinets. Mm-hmm. Um, so had, had some candy cabinets as well. We were, I was getting those imported from a guy over in California. Right. So, but one of the things about sort of the way we were approaching the, the American cabinets we were collecting was we, we were doing some refurbishing and things like that. We would take machines and, and refurbish them, but we were also kind of inventing new, um, graphics and new, like custom artwork and things like that. So it wasn't like we, we wouldn't just make like a bad dudes machine or a, a street fighter machine or a, a final fight machine. We would make sort of this crazy custom cabinet that had a giant rising sun on the side of it. And like, you know, the, the Mount Fuji with the waves and we would like theme them just, and then we would just put a bunch of different games in it. Oh, cool. So I had this weird kind of idea of like, maybe I could start making custom cabinets and, you know, selling them online. But that was definitely not going to happen because the amount of time that it took to put into those, it was just no way we could make that cost effective. So the, I guess I have this weird thing where I've always kind of wanted to make my own game. And so I would make my own cabinets and make them like custom just with crazy designs and things like that. So, so we had some experience in that when it came around to time to make the, the sky cursor cabinet. Excellent. And, and you Phil? So I, I mean, I'm into it, but I'm not quite as into it as Chris is. You know, like I, I'm way more into the actual hardware and like the actual chips on the thing. So, you know, that's kind of when Chris was, you know, doing dot art, Phil was putting, you know, computers together and doing soldering. And so whenever there's, um, you know, like a, a chassis needs to be fixed or there's a cap kit that needs to happen on the back of a monitor, you know, the dude, we need a guy that could do that. So Phil shows up and does that. And you're a um, handyman to have a right. I'm the handyman. So, I mean, Chris is like your, your definite diehard. Um, he's the guy that's going to curate your collection. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Chris has shocked himself on a monitor before. So <laughs> multiple times, <laughs> multiple times. Yeah. So, I mean, he's your, he's your operator, but the, the super, super like kind of grunty technical stuff that is involved with, keeping a cabinet working. Um, Chris can do, but um, Phil's like, yeah, I'm doing it. Let me do it. Let me do it. Yeah, let me add it. Let me add it. And anyway, so, you can go around his house and play his games. Easy. Oh, right, right. And, well, you know, Phil's the first guy um, that I, I ever knew growing up that had a Neo Geo. So he oh, actually, he was a sport kid. Well, well no, he bought no, it as no, a, a teenager no. with his own money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's a dedicated kid then. Okay. I, yeah, I grinded for that thing. I bet you did. They were damned expensive. And, you know, the one I got, um, God, I think I still have the, I have a photo of the model number or the serial number just, <laughs> just in case I ever can put out like a message on a message board and be like, I want it. Back. <laughs> um, but, uh, it, yeah, that was a really fun time. So I was mostly just into obscure hardware. And so the reason why, you know, this project's so fun, at least for me, and I know it's fun for Chris, too, is because he geeks out over the hardware, and so does Brad, but, like, Chris has got to rein me in, because, like, I want it to be on the most obscure hardware possible, you know, like, <laughs> like, like I was like, I actually spent some money with uh, an engineer, an, an electrical engineer, trying to figure out how we could make a, an addition to a beagle board, so a beagle board's kind of like a, uh, a competitor to the Raspberry Pi, okay, and, yeah, yeah trying to figure out how we could get, um, you know, RGB at 15 kilohertz pumping out of this Beagle board. 
Um, so we could actually ship Sky Cursor on a really like commodity type piece of hardware, but with just a, a JAMA type attachment to the top of it. And so oh, like yeah. I'm your, I'm the guy that just last night, you know, I'm I'm stressed over trying to get this thing to build on Linux and run correctly. So um uh you know when the hardware does come out, you know the thing can't just like run Windows or run Mac OS or whatever. That's not good enough for us. We want it to run on something weird. So um, <laughs> absolutely, but also yeah. free and easily yeah. distributable, and you yeah, know, that's, um, that's brilliant. So there, there's kind of a secondary piece to this project too that Victor, I, I, we haven't talked about it all yet, and uh, we've we've kind of talked about it a little bit on some of the forums and things that we're we're getting active on, and the I think it's almost equally as exciting as making our first game is that we want to create, want to be facilitators of a piece of hardware that is reasonably priced at a price point that um, collectors, home collectors can purchase. um, But operators obviously can, can have access to as well. But what I mean to say is that we want to create this piece of hardware that allows developers to use easy front ends for development to develop directly to arcade-compatible hardware. Ah, okay. So the, the thought is that in a dream state, I'll tell you, what I, what we'd love to be able to do is have a piece of hardware that can have new games built for it that are just as easy as having an SD card. And so sort of a, a modern Neo Geo, if you will, um, mm. and, and being able to distribute that hardware in a way that could potentially... Um, you know, start a resurgence of people who, you know, know how to program, but maybe not for super obscure hardware in assembly and want to make arcade games. So we'd like to be able to help maybe, you know, uh, facilitate other guys like us who want to do this and and sort of be the early, um, I guess, you know, take on the brunt of the work so that it makes it easier for people who want to do something similar to what we're doing. So if there's like if there's something that's getting built in the background for Sky Cursor, it's definitely the platform that it's being built on. That's so very um, interesting. Modern software development tools, but retro. I don't even like saying the word retro, but you know, like authentic. Authentic. I guess that's that's the real the, thing. But like authentic JAMA um, style graphics. So it, it's almost like a modern development kit for uh, an MVS or a Neo Geo. Yeah, yeah. And so, and right now, you know, even at our prototype stage, it's a hundred percent JAMA. So you you don't need any, you know, it's it's it works right from the pin board, pin out from the JAMA. So that we're already there in terms of the the solution. Now we need to figure out how to make it something to where it can be not necessarily mass produced, but produced at a level to where, you know, it would be accessible to, uh, again, a home collector or potentially as a development kit. Um, Surprise. That's pretty cool. We'll get onto a bit more about that, about the hardware later on, actually, because I'm quite interested in a lot of this, but um, I've been watching the the promo video, which has got some of the action going on in the game. And obviously it's an eighties, nineties shoot 'em up. You've explained that. And it's obviously that, um, can you tell us why you went with horizontal? Is it because of, because of your own favorite games back in the day? Yeah, so you know it's it's a shmup. There's no denying that, but it, it's, most of its key influences aren't shmups. No. So you know, there's for example the the sprite 
the Sky Cursor Sprite is probably double the size of any other um, you know shmup out there right now. Mm-hmm. The actual jet, and and it and was it's intentional in the sense that you know we're trying to create this claustrophobia and the sense of we, what we're calling meat hell. Meat uh, hell, I like that. Right, right. It's meat not hell. Yeah, and it's it's about the volume of, of of mutants that are coming at you, and you have to kind of use your weapons in a way to carve holes through them more or less to just get enough to escape through. So yeah. that's one of our core principles. And I think for me, horizontal, I guess, you know, Neo Geo is, is one of the, just the, the, the era of the Neo Geo, the style of the Neo Geo, the graphics, the developers that developed for Neo Geo. I want the game to be like, wow, that kind of looks like it could have come out on a Neo Geo. Oh, and absolutely. all, all absolutely. those games were horizontal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I like that perspective for big bosses and things too, because they can be more intimidating if you see them at profile rather than from top down. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is just that it's maybe more readily accessible. Not everyone has a vert cab in their collection, you know, and and it just there's a lot of factors. I guess there's nothing hugely like that. We were like it has to be horizontally scrolling as opposed to, as opposed to. Um, vertical but but then again you know a lot of the the classic shmups that we do enjoy the most like gradius and r type those were horizontal as well so i guess you know it just kind of came out that way and 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 we're actually really happy i think that we went that direction and as we're continuing to develop you know it just seems to be we made the right choice i think absolutely i think the i mean chris nailed it with the whole the profile of being doing the bosses and stuff and doing the enemies and the plane. And, you know, it just occurred to me right now that, you know, if 10 years ago we would have made a 2D fighter yeah. a profile a profile game. So it's just like, yeah, that's the way we see the, I guess everybody, the world, the whole, yeah. everybody sees the world, at least when we make a video game. It's just that's our default view is. Yeah. Because um, I was looking at it earlier and, I, I, when I'd looked at it before, I thought, this game reminds me of something. It reminds me of a lot of games. But one of the ones that I first picked up on, Prehistoric Island, 1930. You ever yeah. played that game? Yeah, yeah, I thought, yeah, this looks... Like, it's also it's got a bit of pro gear in there, I think. And it's yeah. all sorts of... But then, again, it's also got... The graphics sort of remind me of In the Hunt. Yeah. And, and, and then you've obviously got the splat house bin with all the blood and the gore and the eyeballs, which is... that The teenage me would have been all over that. I mean, so I, would that, have, I would have stolen that cab. I would have taken I, it with me. I've got a huge smile on my face because I guess if there's any one game that for whatever reason, the graphic style just, it it seems like a pinnacle of a certain era for me. It's in the hunt and it's, it's pre metal slug, right? Metal slug is sort Mm -hmm. of the citizen Kane of 2d animated. It's, it's almost perfect beyond, you know, because there was a team there and obviously it's, it's an, it's incredible in every way, but in the hunt has this like still, charm of the fact that you can tell it wasn't a huge team and you can tell that it's it's like not that the artists weren't incredibly talented most of them probably worked on metal slug but there's just something about it that feels like just a little older just a little bit more classic i guess if you will so you, you've absolutely warmed my heart by uh calling out in the hunt as a as an influence because it, it definitely like that's the game that i think i I constantly reference sprites from um, and just the style and that that subtle dithering that they use. They're like the masters and the colors, the palettes. Yeah, the I, games I, are really busy it, as well, and I like that because it it didn't look cluttered, but it looked busy. 
And it yeah, also gave the impression the game was quite difficult, maybe? Yes, and a lot of times in Sky Cursor, things appear to be more difficult than they are. You know, the bosses are designed to scare you and make you feel like there isn't a pattern, you know, Um, but there always is. And and it's more about, we're trying to kind of keep the screen, you know, we want the screen to be even more busy than it is today. And I think we're constantly thinking of ways to kind of maximize the visual sort of stimulation. But um, it's, it's, it's kind of a facade, I guess, if you will, the game is hard it's definitely mm. difficult, but it's it's more about like you have to sort of be confident and look through all the chaos. I, you know, I think there's a lot. That's sort of more maybe maybe a little bit more modern of an approach, but yeah. but it's busier visually than it actually is. I think in terms mm-hmm. of the di- difficulty. I mean, it's arcade difficult. Like it's it's not home. Put it on easy yeah you know, like that doesn't exist it's it's definitely arcade difficult but, this thing um, wants your your quarters it wants all your quarters yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it was really fun to see um in fact some of our highest scores on the night of the uh, our first location test were actually girls that had never played oh and wow I brilliant was, i think it was maybe because they weren't intimidated by it i, I and i know that sounds silly but i noticed a lot of guys are used to playing shooters and stuff the style of just throwing hundreds of enemies on at them and on screen, they were kind of like, oh crap. And you know, they you'd see them try to try to play defensively where I think a lot of the girls would just like go to that shot. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think um, that, that's definitely one of the things and you know, that we're really trying to go after is that just sense of like overwhelming, like claustrophobia, you know, like yeah. Robotron and, and uh, smash TV maybe did a little bit of that as well, where it's just like swarms and swarms of guys coming at you and you have to kind of, you know, carve your way through uh, all the, all the bad guys that are coming towards you. It sort of reminds me, um, and you've done it slightly different, like a bullet hell, like a cave game, but with instead of thousands of bullets on the screen, thousands of mutants enemies. Right. And that's where the meat hell concept comes from. And, and you know, we wanted that to kind of be a wink to, we have tremendous respect, obviously, for Cave and what they do, but there's a visceral quality, I think, when you're like blowing up like bags of blood, you know, that you don't <laughs> oh, really yeah. get. Awesome. You don't really get when you're destroying sort of these really sophisticated mechs and, and spacecraft yeah. and things. So that was one of the things that we, we really wanted to tap into early on was the sense of like you're using very primitive but very effective weaponry, weaponry against me you know you're splattering bad guys so that was one of the things that we definitely wanted you know and and i think that's reflected in the choice of the styles of weapons you know you've got the minigun the shotgun which as far as i know this is the first shmup to have a shotgun attached to a to a jet fighter i could be wrong it's a really good animation as well i've seen the animation of the shotgun it is brilliant thank you yeah yeah we we spent a lot of time It, it that was like i think Game, you know, you can live and die by how good your shotgun feels to fire. I think. I think. Oh, yeah. So we spent a lot, a, a ridiculous amount of time getting that shotgun to feel a very the sound effect, the reload speed, all those things. Um, and then you also have the katana, which is you know you're you're essentially a ninja jet. You've got this katana strapped to the back of your jet. And oh, the back is it like a radiant silver gun thing when you use the the katana to to swipe things out your way. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's right. sort of your highest risk reward. And you know what, Victor? I need to send you it. We have a video that we've we published to the Neo Geo forums. It's a private video, mm-hmm. but I need to share that one with you as well. Oh yes, please. Um, 
because it actually plays through the first, the majority of the first stage. You see all the weapons and things. So we need to make sure I get you that because I want you to be able to see how those weapons. We're very proud of how the weapons work in the game. I think they're essential to the experience of the game is having that option of those three weapons and juggling them correctly. Yeah, as we were just speaking then about. about the the weapons and and the bosses and it being horizontal. One other thing that just just smashed me in the face: death smiles. Yeah, when, yeah. Death smiles, when you get the really big heads at the end in the yeah. big monsters, and that, yeah. I love death smiles. They I do a great it. I, again. Yeah, I mean, Cave is I think top dog in terms of modern their ability to. I don't know, create the chaos that they do. They're masters of that. Like, yeah. like it, it, you know, sort of, I think, um, Oh, the company, the name of the company is escaping me right now, which I'm really treasure is yeah. another one that is just masters of chaos, right? Like they can throw things at you that, but it's, it's done in a very sophisticated way. So, Yes, yeah, really well balanced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not that smart. We can't. Our, ours is more about just brutality and like you know, like let's splatter some mutants. Like no, not, no math behind the. Uh, that's not necessarily true, but um, yeah, one thing that we were going for is not necessarily making sure somebody could not fire a, a fire a weapon and still kind of like weave through the bullet storm or yeah the, it's the it's, it's not passive there's no pacifist version of sky cursor right like it's it's all about destroying the bad guys but something i um i always joke about with the design and you kind of touched on it a little bit victor is i want the game to feel like it was designed on the back of like a trapper keeper by a 13 year old kid right like i don't want to overthink it i don't want it to be like overly designed I want it to feel like a 13-year-old kid came up with the majority of the ideas. So a lot of times when Phil and I are brainstorming, we do a lot of the core brainstorming for the enemies and the levels and things. Just him and I, like maybe we'll have a few dozen beers. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of times if we start to get cerebral, we'll just stop. Yeah. It, and it's just like we want it to come from a place where it's just – not dumb, but just very pure, very, very pure, very teenage boy. Like, you know, it's giant eyeballs, it's skulls with tentacles, you know, it's like giant worms stuff yeah. with slime. Like that's the stuff we want. Um, it, it's like, it can't be overthought. It has to have sort of a certain Saturday morning cartoon, I guess, feel to it as well. And a, and a lot of goo. Yeah. A lot of goo, a lot of slime. Excellent. Very slime based gameplay. <laughs> Um, as you said earlier, as Phil was saying, he started on the Raspberry Pi hardware, um, and you talk about the hardware you're going to go for on the on the full, the full build on a jammer board. Have you finalised what you're going to use yet? Is it going to be a Raspberry Pi or a Beagle Bone, like you said, with a jammer connector, or you know, are you going to use existing hardware? Because I thought when I first started um, writing the questions for you. And I didn't know too much about the hardware. I was thinking, oh, maybe these guys have managed to develop on a Neo Geo cartridge-based system, or you know, a Taito G Net or something. But yeah. you're saying it's it's sort of um, sort of off-the-shelf hardware, and then you explained it's going to be a secondary thing is to for, to create create an environment for people to program it as well, yeah. like a modular system, which is what a lot of the pinball guys are doing nowadays, which is is great as well. Um, so you just explain a little bit about sort of what hardware you think you're going to finish, end up with, or what you've got at the moment. I, I, I'll say, um, I'll talk a little bit about sort of conceptually, and then I think Phil's going to be much, much better at kind of getting into the nitty-gritty of it. Mm-hmm. 
but conceptually it is about empower. I, I think one of the things we'd love to be able to be a part of is empowering other creative people to be able to develop for arcade. Yeah. Absolutely. That would be an absolute dream for me to see other games coming out and know that we had some part in that would be absolutely, it would just be an absolute dream for me. Yeah. Brilliant. The other thing is by leveraging off the shelf hardware, we're not gonna maybe not gonna please a lot of the hardware fetish guys out there, but we will be able to create a price point that I think will allow us to be able to make this thing very affordable oh, cool. and and very accessible to the home collector as well as the operator. So hmm. um, those are two things that I, I did want to jump out and and talk about because it's 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 a it's a tough call because you know i would love to you know there's part of me that would have love to have it on really obscure you know custom pcb board and just say you know what this is the only game it can run and it's it's designed to just do this one thing but i think when we really start to pull back and think at the grand scheme of what we're trying to do i think leveraging that that existing hardware is something that we're going to try to take advantage of yeah. and and you know the idea of reflashing Neo Geo carts or like reflashing CPS2 and things like that. It's really cool. But at the same time, the idea of just having to like kill another board, yeah, you know, those, a lot thought, of those yeah. things. Are, yeah. It, it just isn't very, that isn't as appealing to me. Right. I, I don't like the idea of having to destroy something to create something else. So, but I'll, I'll let Phil really talk more about the hardware. Cause that's obviously that's the world he's living in. Sure. So it started out on Raspberry Pi, and if I were, if I had been a better programmer at the time, um, or if we would have been, had somebody in our network to, you know, figure out how to optimize the game for Raspberry Pi, it would still be on Raspberry Pi, but it's not currently running on that hardware. Okay. And the reason it's not is because the software development tool we're using, it's called Game Maker Studio, and Game Maker Studio, you know, not a whole lot of thought went into picking it. I know there's some development environments or um, development tools out there, like you know, you know, Unity's the real big one, at least where where we're at. Mm -hmm. And um, but we picked Game Maker Studio mostly because a lot of the games look close to how we wanted our game to look. Right. And so, and the other thing that was really nice about it is that the way Game Maker works is that. Um, you build, you write the game once, and then you can compile to a bunch of different platforms. And okay. so one of the platforms that it'll compile to is definitely um, the that ARM series of uh, chips, and the, that's what's in the Raspberry Pi. And it's also what's in the Beagle board, and it's also in what's, you know, all your low-cost, you know, under $100 um you know, little platforms are usually using that ARM yeah. uh, series or that that ARM style or that that ARM um, instruction set, right? Uh -huh. And so, fortunately, Game Maker will compile down to that, which is awesome. Excellent. So, um, Dream State, if we were to get like a, a some sort of crowdfunding going on, like Kickstarter or Indiegogo, and this was a Dream State, it would be, hey, we need a buddy to help us optimize the game for ARM. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's that's one thing. But since we don't have that buddy to help us optimize for ARM, we're writing currently. We're doing all our testing on just off the shelf 
and that it's not really actually off the shelf. I've got a, uh, a connection in uh, China. Her name is Milan Wu. If she's listening to this right now, what's up, Milan Wu? Um, and uh, she helped me, you know, her and I, or she and I put together the specs that the team needed in order to um, get the game running as fast as uh, we need the game to play, but also at the lowest cost. So the technical side on the actual board were the little proto board that we're using right now is um, it's a core two duo with an Intel um, express Four graphics chip in it. So not the most sexiest thing in the world, but um, that's, if, if I had my way, that wouldn't be the long-term solution, but it is the solution for right now to make sure that we have something to target. Okay. Um, so, um, there's that. And, you know, I'll just repeat the call out. If there's anybody out there that wants to be a buddy and help <laughs> us develop for arm and, um, that would be fantastic. But the benefits for developing for arm are huge. The it's way less expensive. It's basically just as powerful. So I'm pretty, I'm confident the game can run on it. It's just uh, a matter of uh, tuning our build right now for arm. And then the other thing is it's really low power. So less moving parts. Um, we're really, you know, the board we're on right now has a little tiny fan on it. And I just, I hate knowing that there's a, (laughs) There's an arcade cabinet that doesn't have, or uh, there's an arcade cabinet that's getting moved around that has a little delicate fan just kind of hanging, chilling. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, future state, if we could get onto ARM hardware, that would be fantastic. Yeah. And you know, for me, it, I guess again, like we we've got a lot of things we're trying to balance, and and if we do any kind of crowdfunding, it's going to be for that larger scale. Mm-hmm. Hey, we want to we want to have a platform that's it developed. You know, people can develop for. Um, it's not going to be so much about helping us finish the game. That's going to happen. Like it's oh, cool. it's in our blood. <laughs> I mean, we're going to finish. You Star- have to do it. Yeah, and we're going to make other games. I mean, I already have like oh. tons of ideas for other games. But um, but if we do go that route, it will be for trying to make the reality, the, the dream come true of terms, in terms of being able to provide a scalable solution for other people who want to be part of this kind of thing as well. So um, we have a solution that will work for the short run of dedicated cabinets. Um, I think we can also, if we had to today, we could use the solution we had to ship out the JAMA compatible boards for people who want to play the game in their arcade cabinets. Mm-hmm. But you know, the, the further we want to take it in terms of having that scalable, uh, cost-effective op- option for people who want to develop for, that's where I think we'll start to reach out maybe and potentially try to do some kind of crowdfunding. Yeah. So I was going to ask about um, the, how we can help you back the project. At the moment, I think you're just asking for uh, help, cash maybe, uh, uh, ideas, that sort of stuff. And obviously that people may be able to develop ARM um, equipment. Um, but what else can we do, do to help? So th- that's that's a, such a gr- I really appreciate you asking that. Right now, we're not really looking for cash. We're looking for support in the sense of helping us spread the word on what we're doing. I think, mm-hmm. again, what we're doing is so specific to such a niche crowd, you have to show it to 100 people for one person to get it, right? So yeah. we really – if you're part of a community that you believe may be interested in Sky Cursor um, – 
reach out to us. We will put some kind of little packet together of screenshots and maybe a quick description, or you can just describe it the way you feel it, it the way it's you're responding to it. Right. But yeah. helping us get the word out, I think will be a really great thing in terms of helping just people be aware that it's happening so that if we decide that we do want to try to do a crowdfunded thing or something like that, it won't be a completely from scratch trying yeah. to build that community up around it. Yeah. Um, the other thing that, you know, we are looking for is we are, potentially wanting to have other people on the team, um, even if it's just for a commission based, you know, uh, currently every single dot that's placed on the screen and every line of code has been either rendered by me by hand uh, with the pixel art by myself or Brad has, you know, literally programmed every line of code. So, yeah. you know, if you're interested in this kind of work, um, we're not talking about free. You know, we, we wouldn't expect that from anyone. But if you want to be part of it and you want to help, um, I'm looking for very talented um, sprite artists. I'm looking for programmers that are really uh, versed in game, um, game maker uh-huh. um, and guys who can help us on the hardware side as well. So it's really about trying to build a community of people who are interested in this type of thing. Um, and even if they aren't necessarily totally interested in Sky Cursor as a game, but just the concept of being able to have this RK hardware that's more transferable uh, to develop on, that, you know, just getting people kind of involved, that's really what we're looking for right yeah. now. You know, we, we all have full-time jobs and we can... We've been poor long enough. <laughs> we're, we're <comfortable. laughs> it's like, let's make it happen, whatever it takes, you know. I, you know, credit cards, they can come after me later. Yeah. Because I, I, I do know a few guys, because um, I'm, I'm going to put, as well as um, obviously this is going to go on the podcast, on the end of our podcast, um, I'm going to put it on a lot of the uh, the forums I go on. There's Jammer Plus in the UK, there's UK VAC, there's Arcade Otaku, um, there's a European one called Dragon's Lair Fans Forum, there's a Canadian one called Maca, obviously you've got Clove in America. I'm sure a lot of those guys have picked up on this already, but um, I will put as much as I can on there as well. And I'm sure I know a handful of guys straight away are going to go, oh, I could probably do that. Or, you know, I know some music artists and, you know, uh, people who who may be good at programming this sort of stuff as well. I don't know. But there's a few guys I've got in my mind now thinking, oh, they'd probably be quite good at that or that or help out with that. That's And that's exactly it. You know, like I said, I mean, the, the money side, you know, would be helpful, but it's just not very interesting to me right now. Like we can make it happen. Yeah, um, that's good. That's it's, really it's good. more. About, it's more about the, the the creativity and the community part of it. I mean, you know, that's one of the things I think. If anything, I miss when it comes to the arcade. Of course, I miss the fact that you know every time I'd go there, there'd be three or four new games for me to play. I do miss the sense of like community that was part of being. You know into arcade you had to actually talk to people to learn things about the games you had to actually like interact with people socially like i know that's easy to say you know but but it is a a part of it that i actually genuinely do miss so if we could somehow help stimulate kind of activity again you know that's that's a that's a huge thing that we'd love to do yes um a friend of mine uh, called Leon came around the other night and he was going to show me how to play Wonder Boy properly because that's the game we're reviewing for this podcast okay. and I'm useless at it and he can get like 600,000 yeah. he's really good at it and I, I said to him oh, have you heard of Sky Cursor and he's like oh, what's that and I showed him I was like I have my phone a minute I just sort of handed him over the webpage and it, it, the first thing he said was I like the music <laughs> oh. the first thing he said I was like yeah it's really good and it? it's quite pumping and um, yeah. he sort of said oh this is really good what's going on with it and I sort of told him about it he went oh right really they're doing a new game I was like yeah yeah so that's uh, one fan you got straight away. All right, that's awesome. Yeah, we 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 put a lot of. Um, I come from a music, you know. I did a lot of music before we did the the game, and so 
we definitely at the, you know, it was really, there was this resurgence of this kind of like dark synth, um, really heavy kind of, uh, like throwback eighties, like almost horror movie stuff that was happening. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, I, that's the kind of music I want to make for sky cursor. And, uh, as with everything, probably spent, you know, 20, 30 hours straight trying to come up with the right uh, sounds for it. But yeah, we've got, we've got three pieces of music right now that we have and, and we're working on some others, but yeah, that was one of the things that I was hoping some people would pick up on. Cause I, we actually spent a tremendous amount of time just getting the, the music set up. Yeah. So, um, what sort of percentage of the game do you think is finished now? What sort, what stage do you think you're at? With the actual programming and getting onto hardware, the the thing I'm most excited about right now is that I think getting the core functionality of the three primary weapons in the game mm-hmm. was just such a tremendous amount of work to get that to feel the way we wanted, and yeah. so that is, I would say, probably ninety percent of the way there. Oh wow, cool! The, yeah, the weapons, really the functionality of the weapons, yeah. Yeah. the primary weapon structure. We want to build supers on top of that, so where you literally have to do one of the ideas we have, and we have not tested this yet, so I'm not committing that it will function this way, is that you actually can build up supers traditional to Street Fighter and execute like you know a Hadouken motion, for example, or a a Dragon Punch motion, and you'll perform a super with that weapon. So there'll be different supers for different weapons, and you build different meters. That's something we're really, and we, you know, we're constantly looking for ways to kind of distinguish Sky Cursor from a traditional shmup. That was one of the things we're like, that could be really, really cool. But um, we have the full, we have more or less a fully featured first stage for the game. So, you know, there, it doesn't, there aren't major bugs that, you know, prohibit you, you from finishing the level. Um, we have sort of the, obviously the graphic style, the feel of the game, the sprites. Um, we have, you know, all the sounds and all that for a full first stage. We are in drafting mode for the additional stages of the game. Um, we're still trying to lock in exactly how many we want to do. But I would say the core game mechanics and engine are there now. Wow, it took us cool. all of a year to, to get that done. So yeah, That's the main you know, part done though, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I wouldn't I don't think it's unrealistic to expect to see Sky Cursor before the end of the year. Well, you've said it now. I'm holding yeah. you to that. You've said it. <laughs> I mean, of course it has to happen between, you know, all the the responsibilities we have as, you know, of course, of course. Some somewhat functioning adults, but um but yeah, that that's really I, I would love to try to see if we could hit that kind of deadline um and I think it's very feasible because again, you know, the hard part of building sort of the game environment and the world, you know, that, that we needed from a mechanical level is, is more or less done. So yeah. I, I feel confident we could hit that. Cool. One other thing I sort of almost forgot to ask you, two players. Can you play two players together or is it um, an alternate, uh, alternate in goes of the game? Yeah. So I, <laughs> I'm really unsure if we will – we may have a mode – that will be two player. Yeah. Um, but one of the core principles of like the story is about the fact that oh, the lone guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's, it, it actually, there's a very deep kind of plot that we're working on um, with the one hero in the game. And so we want it to be very much about the pilot's experience. And, and one of the things is we want you to feel very connected to that pilot. That's why I hit the little screens down there with his face. And oh uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Because, we really want it to be very like 
the way you connected with the doom guy, you know, he never said a word, but for whatever reason, you're like, that's my avatar. That's who I am. You know, yeah, so little face kinda, changing, looking around. Right. Exactly. And we kind of want to do the same thing with the pilot and sky cursor. So okay. I think the core game will be a single player game. Mm-hmm. Um, but we may have like a, a time attack. We have a time attack mode right now. That's basically an infinite rush of enemies. And we use that to test a lot of functionality in the game. And it's actually a lot of fun just in and of itself because it's different every time you play it. Yeah. But um, we may make that uh, a, a, a situation where you could potentially have two players. But right now, I, I think we're, we're locked in for the primary story mode to be a single-player mm-hmm. experience. You could maybe use the boss rush mode as a bonus level, perhaps. Right, right, yeah. And, and, and in fact, one of the things we want to do, um, we didn't quite have it ready for the first location test, is we want, once you finish the, the story mode that we have done so far... You know, and as we continue to build out stages, it'll kick you into that boss rush mode. And yeah. so it's about building that higher score. Like, if how long can you survive in that boss rush mode? Because there's no continues once you get to that point. Uh-huh. You know, and that can be that sort of extra bit that adds on to the the gameplay for for people who are trying to get the high score. So that's sort of the way we're using it right now. But it's also a really really nice testing ground to you know see how different enemies interact and how difficult things are. It's it's what we use to kind of stage a lot of stuff. So the next thing I want to ask you is, um, as I, well, you just said now, it seems to be going really, really well. That's excellent. Um, but fast forward to when you've actually finished a game. Just perceive that in your mind, that you've finished okay. a game. And what kind of packages are you going to release to the arcades and collectors? Um, are we going to be looking forward to buying a full kit? Or will there be full machines that um, arcades can buy? Yeah, and what sort so of that, levels of package are like? I know, I know if you if you did get round to doing a, a crowdfunding situation, obviously the the more you pay, you get you know you might get a signed marquee perhaps or a full kit or the PCB only or that right. sort of thing. Have you any any ideas of what you're going to do with that yet? Because as a collector, I'm getting quite interested in this already. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, to go along with the authenticity that we're trying to capture with the game, we want to kind of. We might even reference packages of games that came out in that era, era, and and literally copy what they did just okay. to give it that sense of. So there, I can confidently say there will be a dedicated kit. There will be a full kit, mm-hmm. so that'll have the marquee graphics, the side art graphics, the control panel overlay, some stickers, you know, some goodies, posters, things like that. We want to do those traditional flyers like maximize your earnings with splattery mutants, yeah. you know, yeah. for the operators. We want to have all that stuff. I want that. I want that in my garage now. <laughs> we'll definitely have a dedicated kit. I think we we want to we absolutely want to commit to being able to have a very short run of dedicated machines. And okay. the way I imagine that would work is that we would have sort of a a, a list of arcades that are trying to keep the dream alive. You know, there's some places here in in America that we're already kind of talking to that are interested, and having a machine created specifically for that location. Yeah, fun spot. Would, it would look awesome in Fun Spot. One of Fun these. Spot. There's an incredible arcade actually in Chicago, which is close to us. Okay. Called Galloping Ghost. And oh, I are, need to go there soon. It is the. It is. It's just incredible. They have like 600 games there. Like Whoa. it's amazing, an amazing arcade. And the guy who runs it is one of the most like genuine, nice people I've ever yeah, met. I've heard we're he's really very, good. Yeah. Yeah. Very early conversations with them as well, but um. So yeah, so we get the dedicated cabinet. Maybe there's collectors out there who are just so excited about it that they want to purchase a dedicated cabinet as well. Mm-hmm. But I will say, you know, that 
it, it's it, it gets a little complicated because even just sourcing CRT monitors, for example, is becoming next yeah. to impossible. Yeah, so we we're know. building a nice little stockpile right now. Anytime someone in the area says they have one for sale, we just kind of buy it sight unseen. Yeah, grab grab and, TVs even. Even TVs are good for that sort of thing. Yeah, as long as you can get the board right to to run the true CGA, it, it, it's a total different experiences i'm sure you well as i know you know that have that locked in um cga with the, the scan lines you know it just yeah. looks so gorgeous when it's presented that way that's one of the hardest parts about putting images of sky cursor online yeah you, you don't get the scan and, lines yeah cool. yeah you don't have the scan lines you know tvs are they're ntsc yeah right? so it's like ah. all the tvs that are sitting around in dumpsters are basically like you know, a nightmare to convert over to really working well in an arcade machine. Oh, I see, because our TVs are PAL, you see, and, and all we do is if, they're, if they've got a SCART connection on the back, which I don't think you guys got, no. there's RGB native. You just, no. you just wire RGB, sync, and ground, and off you go. You know no. what, Victor? You just gave me a we really might just need interesting to, we idea. Just need to go over <laughs> Come over here, steal all our TVs, go back again. Yay! That's a really... Because that's kind of one of, like... I get, I genuinely get sad. I, I actually get sad when I start to think about the idea that I will probably li- li- live to see the death of even being able to get your hands on CRT. So maybe we just yeah. get a capsule of like UK. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, you bring all the cabs over here and you can have some of our TVs. It's done. Yeah, yeah, it's there good. we go. There we go. So yeah. Um, so to get back to your question, um, we want to, we want to have sort of the dedicated kit option with all the, goodies we want to have the dedicated cabinet option which is sort of the highest i think obviously uh, most expensive option yeah but then i think we really do want to just have if you just want the board mm-hmm. we want to be able to give you the board right so yeah. we want to be able to scale it that way but um as of right now you know, exclusive to, to uh, exclusive to arcade hardware is, is where we're going yeah cool and do you well that's a bit of a, a difficult question for you. Do you roughly know how many PCBs you be on the run, or you're going to make them specifically limited to say a thousand, or whatever? You're just going to do as many as you possibly can. That's a great question, and to be completely honest, we haven't had that conversation. I think it's a matter of we have to be we have to be responsible, right, with how yes. much money we end up investing into this because you know we all have lives and of course, of course, all kinds yeah. of responsibilities, but. We will we will scale that I think based on the demand, right? If if we can yeah. get a sense that there are people who are actually going to be in, interested in buying these and they and they want them, um, you know, we will we will do our best to make sure that people who want them can have access to them. I have no interest in being like exclusive, like in in the sense we're already being exclusive enough by arcade only hardware, right? So yeah. I don't want to create a false of rarity and things just by you know and and, and because I, I want people who want to play the game to be able to play the game if they if, sure. if at all possible uh, can i just put my pre-order in right now can i be <laughs> yeah, number one pre-order we could definitely talk about that after that i, I can't tell you like we we have had you know we've been very tight-lipped about the game up until maybe just a few weeks ago when we did our first location event mm-hmm. and the when people email me or you know even just you know i reach out and say, Hey, that's cool. Or even comment on a forum post. It's like, it's just such an incredible experience because, it, you know, I know that this game is, you know, it, it is designed in a very specific way. That's going after a very specific type of person. And I feel like when people respond to it, it's just 
such an awesome feeling. So yes, we can definitely talk about you're um, locking in a pre-order for you. Cool. And, uh, and I genuinely very, very sincerely appreciate your interest. And the fact that you reached out to us today to even talk was very, Huge. very awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. I had to jump on it straight away. I wanted to be the first person to get you guys on, on um, recording actually. Yeah. Yeah. No, love and, it. And you are. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to sort of double back a little bit now to sort of a bit more about the gameplay of the game. Um, and it's obviously it's a sort of eighties, nineties, sixteen bit type um, shooter. But can you tell us a little bit about the color depth, uh, resolution, the sound hardware you're using, and and also the controls of the game? How many buttons is going to use? Eight way joystick and how many buttons perhaps? Because yeah. on the on the cab I've seen on on your blog site, and all this will be in the information on our website. I'll, I'll put all the links to all your sites and everything here, so everyone can have a look themselves. Yeah. Um, but the cabinet has got six buttons per side on a two-player. But I think that's just a, a standard cabinet you've used there, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, so we, we're committing to three buttons. Right. Three. Definitely. Cool. That's, that's jammer all over. Yeah, we, that's exactly it. So a lot of the things that, as we're thinking through, it, it needs to fit in the JAMA standard. So mono sound, that's yep. one of the things that we're committing to mono sound. We're committing to the three buttons. We're committing to 240p. Um, so 320 by 240 resolution. That's my favorite um, resolution. Yeah, it is. It, I mean, uh, everything cool <laughs> is 320. Yeah. To, um, so, and and it's exactly, you know, you talked about End of the Hunt, obviously, is one of the big, big influences visually. It's 320 by 240, exactly. Yeah. A lot of games are right within that region. Like uh, a lot of the CPS2 stuff and CPS3, they kind of cheat a little bit by having a wider um, aspect ratio uh-huh. that, that scales, but so they get a few extra pixels. Um, but but ours is three hundred and twenty by two hundred and forty, so that's that's the resolution. Um, it's sixteen colors per sprite plus a transparency. Mm-hmm. So we're really adhering to that. Authentic, you know. It, I think one of the ways we're getting that look is by adhering to some of the limitations that we're kind of forcing on ourselves. Um, so it's sixteen colors per sprite plus or. 15 plus a transparency, so 16 total. Yeah. Um, we um, are locking into a 256 color palette um, for the game as well. Um, as far as the sound, 60 frames, 60, 60 frames per second, you know, as you would expect with an arcade game, yeah. um, which is which is a really inter- interesting thing for people who have. I always wondered, you know, like for example, um, when third strike, it's like clearly there aren't 60 frames per second for the animations in the game. Yeah. And the way they did that was they just, they, they sort of scaled the the speed of the animation, right? So the game was running at a 60 frame per second clip, but then they would scale the length of the amount of time each frame would, would be on screen. And that's how they got the, that sort of smooth animation, but not ridiculously smooth at 60 frames per second. So yeah. there's, we've, it's been a learning curve for us, but that I thought that was really interesting. Like as you start to do that research, how that was actually done. And um, so that's, that's another uh, piece there about the, the graphic style. Mm-hmm. Um, the sound is, uh, I don't know. I feel, I'm not totally, it's mono sound, but it's running at what? 44. Okay. The, yeah. 40, yeah. The, the bit rate there. So we can do the full, um, sampled audio for the vocals and things like that, but it's running at a bit rate that's you know manageable for the hardware. Cool, excellent. And if, if you had any any mind to how many levels the whole game's going to have yet? Obviously, you've completed the first level so far, and you've always got ideas for different bosses. But do you know how many levels it's going to have in total? 
I think we're, we're trying to live right around that six to 500. Eight. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 you know, we have most of the level, the core level ideas sort of in place. Uh-huh. Um, and I think there's going to be some really cool, like not cinematic, but very cool, like show off, uh, showdowns and things like that, that where you have to face off against the same guy in multiple different, um, points in the game and it builds, you know, but, but, um, but we also want to keep it like a very clean experience in terms of you can sit down and beat this game in 20 minutes or 25 minutes or whatever it ends up being. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be to where it's like, it's, you have to grind, you know, no. you'll grind to get the scores, right? You'll grind to get the, the experience of all the different, different ways you can play the game. Yeah, yeah. But I want it to be very, like, you can play through the game. A skilled player can play through the game fairly quickly. That almost reminds me of Death Smiles, because I can do Death Smiles, but I can't get a good score in it. You've got to know at certain points where to let off the weapons, and yeah. you, you, you find the little secrets later on. You can build and build and build, so you'll keep coming back to it, which and is we a want good to have idea. Some, some, some elements in the games where, depending on what you do, there's some slightly different experiences that can happen, you know? so that's one of the things that we want to, we want to have as well. Yeah, cool. And are you going to have the winners don't use drugs FBI warning? <laughs> Yeah, I right. Think up, you should right put up. it in. The very first thing that you see when you t- boot the game up, yeah, you're gonna get your uh, full authentic. Like you're gonna get your ROM check. Oh yeah, a little <laughs> rug come up on the screen. And then uh, yeah, Obama's gonna show up and tell you not. To <laughs> you have a burger with Obama. Brilliant. Get Bush one or Reagan to. I always thought yeah. it'd be fun to do a, a RoboCop reference there. And winners don't take nuke. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> and I, you, I know. I know. It's obviously an American product, but can you just put a little bit of English in for me? Just a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We've had some some feedback about we. So the voiceover, um, Mortal Kombat was another huge influence on, on you know me when I was growing up in the arcade, mm-hmm. which is obviously that's an American made game. And so the voiceover in the game is sort of a – I have a really talented friend who does voiceover work for video games actually. Oh, cool. And he's doing most of the vo- voiceover work for the game. And it's sort of that – it's a throwback to like that Shao Kahn, you know, voice of God thing. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. Some people have like kind of been turned off by it, which I think is interesting. But, um, you know, we may do maybe an al- an English alternate or something like that. Cool. But, I, I, you know, I think it's – um. We just want to be authentic to what was the biggest influences for us, and I really actually think it's so unique to have that kind of voiceover work on the game that you know we're actually really proud of how it turned out. Yeah, excellent. Um, and also, um, when you do get to finish it and you you get it out the door, it's going to get a worldwide release. Yeah, that's the goal, and and I think excellent. that's that's going to be possible through the fact that we have the board option, right? Like, I don't think. It'll be very difficult, obviously, to get the cabinets overseas and things like yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. We want to make it accessible, um, you know. And the fact that you know all those candy cabs in Japan are, are most of them are JAMA uh, compatible. Mm-hmm. The idea of potentially having it, you know, there and like running on a candy cab is, is really exciting for us. So we want to we want to you know make as many connections as we can and, and get you know as many people uh, in front of the game as they possibly can. So yeah, I mean that's we definitely are aiming for a worldwide release. Yeah. Because I think in about two years' time, I'm going back to Japan. And when I go into Taito Hay in Akihabara or at yeah. the top of the Super Potato, I want to see your cab in there. Yeah, I'm, I'm super jealous right now because Phil actually just got back from Japan and oh, he took some place. amazing photos of. Uh, did you go to Hay? Were you actually yeah, there too? Yeah, yeah. yeah, he went to all the, the big. Yeah, uh, good ones. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, if we could get. So I actually went to the Tokyo Game Show this year. Or in oh, 2000. you lucky dog! Really? I know. <laughs> and the uh, the indie game scene, they have uh, an area there for indie games, and you know, a, it would be incredible. Like I, I, you know, I told my fiance I'm about to get married here in a week or two, a couple Ooh, weeks. Well I was like, I was like, hey, I'm going back to Japan this year because Scott. <laughs> Cursor will be done, and uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna launch it at Tokyo Game Show, and she's just like whatever, 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 whatever. But I think it's it's totally doable. Like I, we're to the point now where the like you put it next to another arcade game, and you're like, well, all right, there it is, there it is. Yeah. That's totally real. Yeah, and so Absolutely. it's not it's not silly to think that it would. Be, you know, if the Super Potato sees it, and they're like, yeah, man, we got this. It's here. Sky yeah. Cursor's right here. I, and I can say, Victor, just one, one other thing about that, too, is that the events, the fact that, like, we've only done the one location event, right? But mm-hmm. there's we've already been invited and are attending some expos and things like that um, in the States. Um, and some of it we can't talk about fully right now. But, okay. um, for example, going down to Louisville, which is just maybe... Oh, yes. You are, there's, there's a big um, arcade expo there. Yep, yep, I know. We went, last year. we went last year, and we had just started working on the game. It was yeah. painful. And it was so there. painful because we wanted to have the game accessible to people there so bad. So we're going this year, um, and we're doing some other events, but what I mean to, to say about that is that seeing people play it and like enjoy it the way that we hope that they would is like one of the most rewarding experiences and it's like fuel for us. Yeah. So, you know, even, you know, sometimes it's hard obviously to stay up till three in the morning and, and go to work the next morning, like trying to get things done on the game, but it is literally, it's like rocket fuel for the game. And so we're trying to kind of tour the game a little bit, almost like a band yeah. and have people play it and get feedback and like see, you know, bugs that we weren't aware of happen. And, so it, it, that's how we're kind of powering through like the the development phases, like sharing the game with people and letting them experience it as we're developing it. Yeah. Well, when when you're in the Louisville um, Expo, make sure you find the Broken Token podcast guys. They're some buddies of ours. Okay. okay to those yeah. guys, they're they're really good. Awesome. And they do. They usually do a live um, recording from there, so you can probably get on there and talk to those guys. It's an incredible event. I mean, last year was our first time going there, and I was just blown away and. You know, I'm as I'm growing older for a reason. Pinball is becoming more and more like of a oh god, I want pinball machines in my house. Yeah, but yeah, um, they that. had a huge collection of every I, every pinball game that I've ever wanted to play or you know have ever been a fan of growing up. They yeah. had there. It was amazing. Yeah, I, I, I was going to do um, CGE this year, but I'm not sure if it's actually on the one in Vegas. Okay. <laughs> um, I was hopefully going to go to that. Um, wife has already said we can go, which is brilliant. Nice because um, nice. we, we love we love LA and, and or California and all around there anyway and we're going to do a little bit of a tour as a holiday as well um, but I'm not sure if it's actually on this year because I think it's every two years um, I was hoping to catch up with some of my other podcast friends from the US over there as well but we'll have to see what, what goes on with that yeah and, and, and you know that's the type of thing like we would love to be involved with something we're really right now trying to one of the reasons why we're trying to kind of build people talking about the game is to get to potentially get invited to events like that or to be able to build enough of an interest in a specific location that it makes sense for us to, you know, to, to ship the game out there and go out there and, and attend those events. So yeah. right now that's really what we're trying to do is get, get people who are interested and, and get invited to some of those just so people can experience the game. Well, I can get you invites to some of the UK ones. 
Yeah, well, we it's a bit far, but you know, <laughs> I've only I've only been to the UK once, and it was actually on tour with the band. So I, I yeah. I'd love to get out there again and, and tour an arcade machine. Yeah, we we do have a few um, arcade events, usually in the north of England, but they're, they're well worth traveling to. Well, especially for me as well, it's not that far. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I know. I know. Usually, the the promoters and the people who put on the arcade machines, I'm sure they could put your your board in a cab for you. Yeah, well, no we'd love to, at we all. definitely love to be there. As another thing, I was just um, reminding myself of as well. When you said about Japan, and obviously they have some of the the, the big um, video game expos over there as well. You must have heard of Tuhu Games. They're indie indie games that are usually released on PC. They are mm-hmm. arcade quality, and I think. Um, the Japanese would love your game because it's almost like a Tuhu game. Tuhu games. Okay, yeah. is that is that like a generic term for the style, or is it's, that it's actually a generic term for? I think it's just like indie developers that release. They usually release these for free. These games. Um, they're sort of uh, sort of you know bedroom coders type things. Sort of almost like you guys, just small teams, and they okay. they make these amazing shoot 'em up games. I'll, well, I'll, after we've spoken, I'll, I'll send you some links for it. Yeah, we're looking that up because that's definitely. That's another thing is we're trying to connect with people who are sort of similarly minded and see if we can, you know, share ideas and sort of learn a little bit from some of the people who have already sort of started to do this type of thing. Yeah. Wow, they've been the two who project since 1995, man. We oh, totally yeah, it's really old. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel I feel embarrassed. <laughs> it's it's really good stuff. There's a game called one of them I, I played. Um, it's, some of them are quite difficult to play because they've got a lot of Japanese text, but usually it's just a shooter game. Um, there's yeah, one called cool. Imperishable Night, which is really nice. Imperishable Night. I yeah. love the name. Yeah, they're, they're lovely. Love. They've got all the QI, the QIE graphics and all the sort of stuff you would imagine from a Japanese game. That's awesome. <laughs> they've got one called Highly Responsive to Prayers. <laughs> yes, they have some good titles as well. <laughs> I, I love, yeah, like I said, I go, I love that obscure. Oh like, my god! Yeah, Phantasmagoria of Dim Dream. <laughs> That's perfect. We That's had perfect. We, when we were first trying to name Sky Cursor. Actually, we were going for the like Super Starburster XL Deluxe. You know, like the, yeah. like the obscure long Japanese title. But that sounds Sky- like something that might be on PC Engine or uh, uh, Graphics. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Right, my last question for you is the testing of the game. Who have you got testing at the moment? You said you had a, a location test and it worked really well. Are you just sort of testing it yourselves or have you got sort of uh, your buddies and, and friends testing for you? Uh, Chris can answer this one too. Um, real quick though, the I think the first person outside of the core team we let play it was my soon-to-be nephew, Miles. Huh. And the response he had... Was just how old is Miles? Uh, Miles is ten, nine, maybe. So you know, kind of the the demographic we're going for with this game. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I mean, he's he's grown up on an iPad. He's grown up on Xbox 360 or yeah. whatever. And he was, yeah, he was actually into it, interested in the backstory, wanted to keep playing it, was fighting over it with his older sister, oh, and. Man. Um, it's funny to watch them play it because first they die immediately, so they just die constantly. But then there's also like they'll play in a way that we've never seen before, and that usually means like letting the background run out and just turn into like a purple screen. So right. we have to watch them play and do things that like normal arcade players wouldn't do because they just don't have that experience. And yeah. one of the main key quotes that Miles said was, um, 
is this one of those type of games that you would play in a restaurant? And <laughs> yeah, it's it like, is exactly it's that. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's exactly, it's exactly what it is. You nailed it. <laughs> so um, really our primary tester is a, a close friend of mine named Mario. And um, he is just one of those guys that's like, so naturally gifted at playing games and like he's a big big street fighter guy he plays competitively and things like that uh-huh. and he's just very blunt like he gives us really good feedback about he's not treating it like a game his friends made he's treating it like a game that he's being hardcore about you know the criticisms he, he's giving us and like you know finding glitches and things like that he has he has a really good knack for like playing the game in a way that you know might not be natural like here try things that people wouldn't think of and mm-hmm. so he's our primary tester but then we're really leveraging the location tests to sort of get a sense for how a broad range of people are playing the game yeah because you know my next question is can we test it for you please sorry i'll just a sec phil if you want to yeah i got it line. so the question was can you guys test it yes um, please I go on so we'd want you to test it on actual hardware and uh-huh. this is kind of like a phil mistake at the moment it needs to have like currently so for maybe like the next three or four weeks it needs to have like a buddy standing there that knows how to like massage it when it breaks okay Um, so it made it through the whole location test with only that one little software glitch Mm -hmm. um but as soon as yeah we'll send you a board for sure oh that'd be marvelous sure but I can't send one right now, mostly because it would be a very frustrating experience for you. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> like, trying to get it running. Because um, my, my sure. co-host, Sean, he's very, very good at the shooters, and he always beats me at the shooters. I think he would love this. Yeah, he's we'll getting send- quite excited when I sent him a message about it. Yeah, that's really the way that we want to um, start to build, like, the true, you know, like, getting, getting experienced players, like, is actually sharing the board. Um, and getting the board out there so people can can play it on their arcade cabinet. So if you have a JAMA compatible cabinet, you know I'd love to continue yeah, the conversation. I have many JAMA cabinets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome, guys. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we sort of uh, finish up here? I, I just want to again say thank you um, to to your podcast and thank you for inviting us out. You know it means a lot. This is the first recorded conversation we've had about the game outside of the promotional stuff we've done Mm -hmm. it means a great deal to me um and i hope that you know the passion and the like just genuine you know we're not trying to make money off of this we just want to do something that you know we can be proud of and that people love guy come on buddy Uh, you know i just uh that's just really you know it really means a lot to me and and i just want to say thank you Mm, thank you very much for, for having the time to come on and talk to us um, I'm all for anything arcade. I will promote it as far as I can because this seems like an excellent project to me. I'm, I'm excited about it already. Thank you, thank you very much. That's amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what we got. You know what I mean? Just Definitely. thank you, thank you. Well, thanks, guys, and uh, hopefully you'll uh, get back to us when you have some more to tell us about it. Definitely, look forward to it. Thank yeah, you. thanks for having us on. Just in case you haven't had enough arcade goodness, here are some outtakes. I used to have a good Commodore 64 game, Thundercats. Hmm. Right, right, we've gone off the bit there. You did a bit. Um, you went off. I yeah. saw you just whiz off to a yeah, land of... Uh... Thundercatish. Yeah. Edible chocolate toe plan things. What is a flan? Sorry, I don't know. Flan's like a, something with cheese in it. It's... We're getting off topic here. Yeah. It's it's a, a 
A lidless pie. <laughs> a toe pan lidless pie. Why not? Mm. I've just remembered another bit from Crossy Red. I'm going to pop in here a bit, all right? And I'll edit in later on. Yeah. Got a sniffers on me. Nose is killing me. You damn <laughs> fool, you. <laughs> that was a funny one, that. You can download or play the podcast, read all the show notes, and leave feedback at www.10pencearcade.co.uk. You can email me at vertvic at 10pencearcade.co.uk. You can also reach us on our Facebook page. You can tweet me at 10pencearcade, and you can tweet Sean at Sean Holly. We'd love to hear from you for game suggestions, arcade pickups and stories, or any of your personal thoughts on anything we may have covered. 